Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80, The Zone. Well, the Utah Jazz get the win. It wasn't pretty, but it was a win. They had a huge lead. They're up by 22. They're blowing Charlotte out. Charlotte's going back-to-back. Gordon Hayward isn't playing. But the Jazz aren't in a great place right now, so sustaining that for most of the game was always going to be tricky. And sure enough... Charlotte made a run. Charlotte actually took the lead in the fourth quarter. But the Jazz finished strong, and when it's all said and done, they had the win. And there's a lot of things to talk about in this game, and we'll do that coming up later this morning. The best of the postgame show is coming up later this hour. But if I had to say one thing, I would say 102. The Jazz are so gifted offensively that even when they miss open shots, and they miss some open shots in that game last night, but even when they do, they're going to beat 102 points most of the time. They did last night. They held the Hornets to 102. And if the Jazz hold people to 102 points, they're going to win. If they held the Spurs to 102 points, they would have won Friday night. If they held the Wizards, never mind, you get the point. It worked. You know, Charlotte's a mediocre team playing without an important player, going back-to-back on the road. But nonetheless, the Jazz got the win. And There's 82 games, and sometimes you just have to win however you can. Win ugly is the cliche. Actually, I thought there were stretches where the Jazz looked really good, and I don't think anybody complained about the first quarter. I don't think anybody complained about the last, uh, you know, four or five minutes of the game either. In between, there were some ugly stretches, but in the end, they got the win. Best of postgame show coming up. Some big-picture stuff on the Jazz with Steve Cleveland. How aggressive is Danny Ainge going to be as he manages this roster? He is the CEO. He did not come in as a consultant. Came in as a CEO. What does Ainge think? How's he going to act? Steve Cleveland knows him well. They got the BYU connection. We'll hear from Steve next. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. We had Steve Cleveland on in the 9 o'clock hour yesterday. Went big picture on the Jazz. You'll hear him reference the Friday and Saturday losses, but not the Hornets game. That's why. But most of the questions are big picture, especially about Danny Ainge's role and his attitude and how he's going to lead this franchise going forward. And Ainge's not coming in as a consultant. I thought he might. I, I was 100% sure when he left Boston he was going to work for the Jazz. But maybe in a consultant role? No. He sits at the press conference and says, I'm going to be here every day. I'm not going to be here 16 hours every day, but I'm going to be here every day. So his, his thumbprint is going to be on this franchise going forward. Steve Cleveland... Knows him well, so PK and I talked to Steve about that. Here's Steve. Steve, good morning. <laughs> good morning. Steve, PK uh, just threw something out, and I be- and he and I have not talked about it, but I believe this 100%. But I believe you have spent more time with the two people in question, and I think you're going to endorse what we believe, but it will mean more coming from you because we're viewing from a distance and you know them better. But I believe the Jazz owner, Ryan Smith, just hired a guy he's uh, friends with, Danny Ainge, and I believe they both like to roll the dice more than Jazz management has liked to roll the dice for decades. And I think that, um, and I think this isn't a surprise if you're in the tech industry. We've all heard the phrase creative disruption. And even though uh, Ryan Smith unloaded the radio station pretty quickly, the little bit of time that he owned the team and owned the radio station, we heard from our managers, be inventive, try something different. Don't stick with the status quo. If you don't make a mistake, you're not trying and coming up with new ideas. 
I think they're going to be more aggressive in player movement than ever before. Now, that doesn't mean they're crazy, and that doesn't mean they're looking to turn the roster upside down tomorrow or at the trade deadline. But when we look back over two or three years, we're going to say, wow, the Jazz are much more aggressive in player moves. Do you believe that based on your relationship with these two people? Uh, Absolutely. I mean, I I think they're – you look at both of them and their success, and, and, and I'm, you know, I know Ryan, and I, I think my grandchildren and, and his children, uh, I've had a son move back up there, so they, th- there's a relationship there. And I've met Ryan a few times, and, uh, but you just look at his life and what he's done and uh, the aggressiveness and just the intelligence and just the, being able to kind of, for me, they're, bo- they're both kind of visionary people, but Ryan specifically is someone that from a very young age had a vision about stuff that he's just, he's got an incredible mind. And I think that Danny is a guy that's always thinking outside of the box. And, and, and both of them are so confident, so successful, very people oriented and really connections and relationships are important to them. And when you look at what's happened throughout the state of Utah, especially the impact that Ryan Smith has had, uh, I don't think any of us five or ten years ago are thinking that, you know, this would be the guy that would own the Jazz and run the Jazz. But and I have complete confidence in this guy to, to, to do things that are different that have been done, uh, to really take the Jazz to another level. And, listen, they've been really successful, but they, you know, I think these guys want to win championships, and they're, and they're not that far away. So uh, making deals and bringing guys in uh, is going to be something that I could see them doing, you know, very quickly. Uh, we got. I don't know when. When is the trade deadline here coming up? I mean, it, it's oh, coming got, up pretty soon. Yeah, they got and, a few weeks. Uh, so they got a few weeks, and you know, there's I don't know, maybe a hundred, hundred and fifty people with that group. That I don't know if they're going to make any immediate moves, but down the road, I can see them really. Uh, their uh, their their impact on on this program is significant, and especially with Danny coming in with all the experience he has and the understanding of the game. Um, I, I read the articles that you know indicated that this kind of caught Danny off guard. I think we all just assumed that Danny would be there, but I'm not sure that was true. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, I would agree with you. I, I think they're going to have an impact immediately. Just all of that experience as a player, as an owners, as uh, general managers. I mean, Danny's had about every job except ownership in a in, a, in an NBA franchise. So. Uh, he sees this thing with a different set of lenses than than most people do. So, no, it's it's going to be good. I think it's nothing but good for Utah for the Jazz uh, and make making them take, getting them to the next step where they're winning. I mean, they, they got to win a championship. That's what they're there for. That's what they want. I'm sure that's their goal is to win an NBA championship. And and they're close. They're close. But I don't I, I don't necessarily think right now that it's it's where it's going to end up being terms of personnel bold moves always fascinate me you know i think that it was a bold move to hire you from the junior colleges and you talked about it a million times over this no-name dude out of fresno and you know and it had the monumental job you had to do and proved to be successful you got to the tournament in four years and you brought rose aboard and rose bought pope so your influence is still felt all these years later but bold moves always just intrigue me and this doesn't really make sense but i'm gonna say it anyway how careful do you have to be when you make a bold move typically you make bold moves when 
maybe things that have not been working and you want to take a chance. I mean, when I think of that, that first thing that comes to my mind is maybe we need to look at this with a different set of lenses. We maybe let's take a different perspective on this. This is what we've been doing for a long time. And even though there's a lot of good, it's not where we want to be and we want to get to the next step. I mean, I, I think when you, 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 people usually are pretty bold, at least we look at them from the outside inside and go, oh, that was taking, you know, that's taking a chance. I you know, wonder how that's going to work out. And, uh, but I also believe that people that make bold moves, and in the case of Ryan and, and, and Coach, that they, they have so much experience and in in business in the game and with people that uh i i think they have the confidence in themselves that yes i think these are two two good men who could be bold and they're not afraid and fearful of uh, uh of the challenges that lie ahead i mean I, I think that's why ryan smith got to where he is and is successfully in business and i think danny ames from from being a player uh, all the things he was involved in. I mean, it was bold for Danny Ainge to be playing baseball when he was playing basketball. And, and then, as, as obviously, as, as a coach, uh, and then running an organization with Boston for years, uh, these are two men that aren't afraid to make a decision. And, uh, and, I, I, and they, they'll be sound decisions, but I think to some they will seem bold. And really, when you think about the Jazz, they've not been a – an organization that's made a lot of really big-time bold moves. They've had great coaching, and they've got it done a nice job with the draft. And, and right now, have a really, you know, have one of the top three or four teams in the NBA. But knowing Ryan Smith and knowing how competitive Danny Ainge is, you know, there, there's one thing they're looking at doing here: and then making bold moves to win an NBA championship. How's that going to happen? How's that going to work? Uh, I know Dan. I don't. I'm not a, you know, I, obviously I've known Danny because I coached his son and, and we've had conversations and been around each other. But the one thing I've known and respected about him from the outside, he's always thinking, he's always tinkering, he's always considering the next step. And, and I got to believe that Ryan Smith, the empire that he built financially for himself and his companies, he's done the same thing. So you've got two really bright minds that are good friends, that both have passion for golf and for basketball and those kinds of things so they have a lot in common and uh, it makes sense that they're going to do it together so we have a guy named steven tweeting at us and i wonder how much truth you think to uh his theory here here is we're talking about what's wrong with the jazz they lost twice this weekend the spurs at home were one of the you know, worst teams in the West, and then the Wizards, who are kind of a mediocre team in the East. Steven says, having Ainge in the front office has the players on edge and screwing with the team, hence two straight losses. I wish he wasn't with the Jazz. Now, I don't think you'll go with, I wish he wasn't with the Jazz, but I'm curious what you think about Ainge in the front office has the players on edge and screwing with the team's mentality. How much do you buy into that, and how much is that just an excuse? Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't buy into that. I, I, I mean... I think that any time you lose to two teams that you absolutely should beat at home, there are going to be a lot of question marks. And, and, and those were you know, two bad losses. And uh, and, and certainly uh, not, not not to take anything away. The one thing right now, and I, 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 I didn't see those games, and specifically I read about them, I saw highlights and things, but – there's so many issues right now in this league dealing with protocol and injuries. You never know who's playing. I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll sit there and, 
get online and, and watch games. And you know, you, you there are more people playing in the NBA right now that I've never heard of. That you're going, well, now where did this guy come from? You know, and all of a sudden some guy goes for 27, and and you're going, hey, he he hasn't played in like two years. You know, I mean, right now I, I think the thing that's impacting the, the entire league is, is, is the protocols again, and and, and I I, don't, I think it's going to get worse. And I think the injuries are going to go. So I, I think there's more of those kind of issues impacting the entire league where they're so inconsistent and you never know who's going to play and who's on the team and what's going to go on. And managing that, I mean, we got coaches in, the, in protocol. we got players in protocol. And it, it's just a, it's a revolving door every, every day. It's a different team. And that's going to lend itself to upsets. It's going to lend itself to teams not playing with great chemistry. And, and just fledgling around. And, but typically you would think through all that, at least if you're at home, if you're at home, you know, that, that puts you in a position. Those two games they shouldn't have lost. There's just no way. And, and you know, and whether it's, you know, defensively, uh, you know, there were some challenges. But with Danny and Ryan going back to them and their leadership, um, these are guys that have had so much experience and so much understanding with people and organizations that, you know, I, I feel absolutely confident that they're going to take this to another level. I don't know what it's going to look like and how it's going to happen, but I'm convinced the passion they have to, as successful businessmen, successful athletes, successful people all around throughout their lives, that they're not afraid. They're not afraid to take a chance and do certain things. And I, usually fear comes from a lack of understanding. You know, I, you know, I'm not sure what we're going to do here, what we're going to do there. I think with Ryan Smith and Danny Ainge, you've got a combination of two guys that have so much experience, so much understanding. There won't be a great deal of fear. Not every decision is going to be perfect. Not every decision is going to work. But uh, they're going to think outside the box, unlike probably many people in, 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 the, in the NBA. Late game situations, last possession, that type of thing. The ball's been in Mitchell's hands. There's been a couple times where it hasn't gone like they've wanted. The other night against the Spurs, uh, he had had uh, a little bit of a situation. He's dribbling the ball, and he's trying to get to the basket. And it seems like his head is down in terms of, I'm going to get to the basket. He ends up doing like a scoop, and it does, man. It just seemed like it sat on the rim for for 10 seconds, and it didn't roll in. It rolled off. Uh, he's your best player, obviously, offensively in particular, and he's very dynamic. How do you coach getting the ball into your best player's hands, but him also understanding that he's got four guys out there, so it doesn't necessarily need to be him shooting, but at the same time, you don't want to discourage him. You want him to keep his confidence up. It seems like it's somewhat of a del- delicate balance there. You know, it, it is. And, and, and I don't, you know, whether you're a high school coach or a junior college coach or Division One coach or the NBA, I mean, you, 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 you come into every game knowing that certain scenarios that you're prepared for, like, you know, you're down one, you're down two, you're down three, you know, whatever the circumstances are. And, and you talk through those things. I mean, that, that those are things that are talked about in practice early on. And these, here's our late game plays. Here's our late game sets. We're going to try to get the ball. But one, one thing that I, I know that I did as a coach is that I had five or six out-of-bounds plays or sideline, baseline uh, or, you know, 30 seconds left in the game, 20 seconds, 10 You know, you have all of that set up. That, 
that has been practiced. It's, it's been orchestrated in practice. It's, it's kind of like, well, hey, we're just going to give him the ball. He's going to go, no, this is what we're going to do. This is where we need to be. Now, that being said, I think there's a lot of, uh, just through the public's eye and through media scrutiny, that, you know, if the wrong guy shoots the ball and misses, it's on the coach. Because why in the world would he have him taking that shot when you've got, you know, Donovan Mitchell over here who can do this, you know? And so you, you kind of you kind of protect yourself in, in, a, in a way in the sense that I always did it this way. I mean, I tried to – I absolutely tried to make sure that I got the ball in the hands of the guy that was hot, the guy that was to get me to the free throw line, to run a ISO – or a set where we could get to the free throw line if we were down one or whatever we were, or if we're down three, we got to have a three. So, you know, you have all those things prepared. But I think one of the things you always say coming out of the timeout, especially to, to the guys taking the shot, listen, man, you can do this. I said, if you get doubled, if you get doubled, find, find somebody there. You know, and I always allowed them to, in their mind, know that, hey, I have full confidence in you. But if they come out of you with two or three people, here, what are we going to do if we get doubled? And you have to practice that. You have to practice that. If you don't practice late-game situations, most of the time that they take place, it's just the luck of the draw. A guy hits a fadeaway 17-footer and goes in, well, what a great play, you know. Well, no, we got lucky there. So I think for anybody that's in coaching at any level, has to have late-game situations. they got to have them covered from every spot on the floor, and every day you take 10 minutes on late-game situations, down two, 20 seconds, down one, or three seconds. You know, and, and you do that defensively as well. You know, because a lot of times uh, it, it's a pretty popular thing. If you're up, you know, you're, you've got a situation where you foul and take, get them to the free throw line. I've seen every play that's a, to, that worked for me, and I've seen sometimes things that backfire. You know, you fouled early, and all of a sudden, you know, they make a shot, they miss it, they get the rebound, a guy hits a three, and you lose the game. But I do, I do believe that. This situation in the NBA, you know, you're, you, you've always got one or two guys that can go make a play, but there's so much prep that goes into that in practice that it's not like, hey, I'm going to drop a new play. That, that, that seldom happens. Like I'm going to drop a new play here in 30 seconds to give the guys that they've never run. That's not happening. I mean, I, I think sometimes the media, I think fans give them credit. Oh man, you do a great. They've probably been practicing that play for two months, and with that specific guy. Donovan Mitchell shooting the ball. Uh, but things happen, and, and good coaches can defend late-game things. And I always made sure that, listen, you do not you do not have to shoot this thing with two people and give it up. Find the open man. I mean, the, the primary thing is going there. You can do this. You can finish it. Knock it down. And, and you're always – if he misses it, he misses it. You know, you, you just got to walk away and say, hey, I had the hands of my best player. Or, hey, I had the hands of my best player – they, they doubled him. He couldn't get it off, and he kicked it out to Conley, who's a great three-point shooting guard, and he missed it. You've done what you've done. You're disappointed. You kind of pass the media test and the fan test, and you say, hey, we had a good play run. That's where we were. Now, you know, you can go back to why were we behind in that situation, <laughs> and that's a whole other narrative and conversation. Man, why were we down anyway? We're playing two teams that are pretty average at home. Uh and, uh, and well, we, we didn't guard. We didn't guard defensively. I mean, the reason they, the, the reason they lost to, uh, to both those teams is just defensively they weren't as good as they needed to be throughout the game, not just late. 
Totally agree with that. 36 points in the first quarter to the Spurs and 41 in the third. I mean, good yeah. grief. That can't happen. <laughs> no, it can't happen. And, again, uh, you guys are really close to it, but it didn't seem like they were down a lot of bodies and, and you're playing at home, you're sleeping in your own bed. Uh, you, you, you go through that. I mean, it's a grind. I can't even imagine playing 80-some games and, and uh, do what they do. But they travel well. They, you know, it's not that difficult, but I do believe, I'll go back to what I said before, I think we're going to see more upsets and more of this, it, it, you know, just because of all of the COVID protocols, all of the injuries that are happening, just all of the nonsense that seems to be impacting the league. So, I, I mean, it's, it's really, really obvious that Phoenix Suns and Golden State Warriors uh, are really, really good, and Golden State probably going to get a little bit better when and Clay comes back, and we know that Utah's been really, really good. They've got 20 wins, but 80% of this league is hovering around 500. <laughs> you know, a few games over, a few games under, uh, and I and I do believe that oh, there's parity in the league. That's fine, but I just not having the same team day in and day out uh, really uh, it, it hurts. It, it, it's a challenge, and so the teams that can stay healthy and deal with protocol and uh, and keep their guys. And Utah's been able to do that pretty much. But, uh, I mean, I, I think that uh, they've got three games here coming up that are all very, very winnable games. And uh, But, again, you can't take the Hornets for granted. I mean, they, you know, Hayward comes in here, you know, and drops 40 because he's back in Utah and LaMelo Bell and Rozier and, and Bridges. I mean, those are all good players. And if you don't come to play, the Hornets can beat you at home. T-Wolves won four in a row, <laughs> you know, and, and and not, you know, they beat Portland and Denver and Lakers and the Mavs. I mean, none of those teams are playing great, but they've won four in a row. And and I'm not sure if Luke is playing for the Mavs, but uh, I think that, uh, you know, th- those are three really winnable games. So uh, hopefully they'll get turned around this week and have a great week and, you know, all of a sudden be 23-9 and nine and, and, uh, and right there where they want to be. But, We'll see. You just never know. You never know. But it seems like Conley's healthy now, right? He's playing better and back. And uh, I don't follow it as close as you guys do, but it seems like they're at pretty full strength. So there's real no excuse to to go through this homestand and, and just kind of fall flat on your face. Uh, these are three winnable games at home, and and and, then, and none of those teams are great defensively, and so they, they should, scoring should not be a problem. Throw a basketball question at you. If you're Mark Pope, you lose your two big guys. How do you not feel sorry for yourself? Uh, it's impossible. Of course you do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, Mark, he's, the, uh, he's so positive about everything. And, uh, you know, he's got those two bigs. That, that hurts. And, and with Loner and Letighi and Troyori, I'm not sure if Francis George, you got four guys that are all undersized that are strong and athletic. But it, it'll catch up to them. I, the one thing that BYU does have is, is they've got they've got guys that can shoot it in the perimeter, and and, and as long as they continue, you know, whether it's Marcello or you know Spencer Johnson or Nell, and even the Knight, the Knight kid who's new to the program, has has hit the three ball, and and so that keeps them in games uh, when they play undersized people. But over over time. Uh, it, it's made it more challenged for him, no question. 
And uh, they're going to play, I guess they're in Hawaii playing in a tournament. And I, I think I looked at the they're, – they're all teams I think they can beat. Uh, but when you're down numbers and guys get hurt or guys get tired, it does it can't have an impact. But, no, it's tough. Tough because Marcello – but, but uh, Harward – uh, is a guy that it takes up so much space. And I have watched him. I've been in Utah in the summer and watched him in his workouts and thought that he, he's just kind of a, a beast there. And, uh, and to not have him, Baxter, obviously losing Baxter hurts as well. But Harward had such a presence at the rim. And uh, it doesn't sound like either one of them were coming back, to be honest with you. So they'll, they'll do what they got to do. But uh, – BYU's got a nice – they had a nice win at Weaver. And, uh, I, you know, I watched Utah play, by the way, for the first time. And, you know, Coach Smith, I mean, I'd seen him at Utah State, but he, he does a nice job. And uh, I, I know they don't have all the pieces yet. They're, they're, uh, Fresno State's going to come in and play them Tuesday. Uh, Justin Hudson, who's the coach at Fresno State, is, is a good friend of mine. Um, he was at San Diego State a long time. And – his dad was a high school coach here, but he's he's got a nice squad. They're nine and two. They're not real big, but they do have a kid, Orlando Robinson, who's about a seven footer, that'll probably be drafted this year. But they re- they're really they play hard. They're really athletic. They guard like the San Diego State teams did in the past, and and Justin was a part of that. I I don't know how they'll be at altitude and they can make enough baskets, but that'll be a, that'll be a good test for Utah as well. Well, Steve, we appreciate the time. As always, have a Merry Christmas, and we will talk to you again next week. You guys too, man. Take care. There's Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. When we come back, Jazz Hornets, the best of the postgame show, next. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Time to get to the best of the postgame show as the Jazz get a win at home over the Hornets. It's your Jazz recap here on DJ and PK on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jake Scott with you. Jazz get back to their winning ways last night with a win over Charlotte, 112-102. A game a lot of folks, myself included, uh, anticipated was going to be a big-time offensive game because of the two teams playing. It was not. The Jazz got back to uh, a little bit uh, of edge on the defensive side of the ball, however, and come away with a win by 10. Rudy Gobert with a 20-20 performance, 23 points, 21 rebounds in the win. Bogdanovich had 23. Donovan with 21. Conley with uh, with 14 to lead the way for the Utah Jazz. Of course, Gordon Hayward did not play for the Hornets, but they were led by uh, LaMelo Ball who had 21 points. Miles Bridges had uh, 21. Terry Rozier had 20. Terry got uh, hot there in the fourth, but not quite enough as the Jazz hold off the Hornets. 112 102. Let's get some postgame sound. Let's start with Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. Yeah, I thought the second quarter um, we weren't in sync, you know, the, the way that we were the other three quarters. And I, I thought really the way that we came out, um, you know, in the third and the fourth, um, for them to take a take a lead and for us to really dig in defensively um, and to keep playing the right way. You know, a lot of the shots we missed were, you know, really clean, good threes. And then I thought, you know, as, as they started to really stay home on the shooters, we were able to get to the rim. So just, you know, I think the way that we played, particularly given the fact that, you know, we didn't play that way in the second quarter. So to see our team respond, you know, there were times when we almost overpassed. Um, you could you could feel that, but usually, you know, th- those shots are big shots, and there are shots, as I've said. Um, you know, not as many of them went in tonight as typically. 
but you know, I thought we, we kept playing the right way and, uh, and I thought it really showed on the defensive end too. We kept us connected and we bounced back. There was a couple turnovers that, you know, what it looked like we had a real advantage and we're going to score in transition and they ended up being, you know, layups for them. Uh, so you look at some of those swings and for us to overcome that, I thought shot a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of commitment and a lot of connectivity um, during, during a time when you had, you know, Rogier was hitting shots, they were getting some, some buckets off our turnover. So I just, I liked our mental toughness in the second half. Quinn, uh, Rudy Gobert set a career by making 15 and 16 free throws. Um, what, what did you think of just kind of the timeliness of, of some of those makes? They came at I think critical the, junctures in the game. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the biggest thing is that he got to the line 16 times, and I, I think that shows um, his balance and his patience. He's not just trying to get it up to the rim. He's, um, he's more conscious of where his defender is. And so they, they were fouls. You know, he was making them foul him or he was going to dunk. Uh, so, and then to step to the line and, and have the confidence that he did that, that's something that, you know, that's been a big point of emphasis for him. Um, not just people on our staff saying that to him, but it's something that he's really internalized and, and he works on it. So uh, those are, you know, particularly, you know, when, you know, it's maybe got a chance to be an and one, you know, where it looks like he's going to dunk and he, he gets fouled. He goes to the line. He makes them both. It, there's a lift that takes place there. Um, so it, it was really, really good to see. And I, I thought, you know, there was a, in my mind, again, there was a reason that he was getting fouled because he's going up strong and going through people's arms as opposed to kind of trying to get, just get the ball up on the rim. Watching Washington film, there were times where I thought you guys could have gotten him the ball and, and weren't able to, and then tonight you did, and then he was able to do stuff on the short roll and then get, get to the line. Is that just was that an emphasis before the game, or is that something that just kind of happened? Based no, on I, I think you know the, the the short roll, particularly when they're they're switching, you know, or blitzing, is just there, and. You know, I thought at the beginning of the game, you know, he, he made the right play. And, and Rudy, like a lot of us during the second quarter, um, I thought we, we had a lead and it became a little more about kind of individual guys making a play. Um, but for the most part, and I think you saw that in the second half, that there was a focus on that. He finished his role and got to the rim when he didn't have the short role. And that's really big, you know, when, when our big stop in the middle of the lane and try to seal, um, we don't have driving lanes and, you know, ironically they, they don't get the ball because there's people that are behind them. But when they, when they fight for the rim, um, you know, there's times when they get held and fouled, but to not allow that to, to deter you. Um, and then the floors really spread out, you know, I think, and that shows by, you know, the shots we got from three. So I, our, our guys are, are focused on getting into them. I think we've gotten better. One, he's, we're, we're allowed, we're giving, you know, the passers an opportunity to hit him high. 
where only he can get it. And then he's keeping it high as opposed to ceiling, you know, and not really having a target because um, he's got to break his seal in order to catch the ball. So I, th- I think on both ends, um, guys making, you know, the right read to see him and see him quickly. You know, if you, if, if you wait, you know, the help comes and he's not there. Um, and that, you know, that's going to happen too. Sometimes the help is packed in and then we got to make the same read and hit the corner. But um, I think that's something our team wants to do. And I think our execution in those situations has gotten better. And I think it, you know, continue to get better because of kind of fundamentally the way we're going about it. Um, you know, we were getting really good looks, you know, and, and, you know, and then it's kind of the, we were getting good looks and missing and, you know, they were, they were making some shots, particularly Rozier hit some shots. Um, and then we turned the ball over, you know, the, the, there was four or six points that we just handed to them. Um, when we might've been able to get something really easy on the other end. Sometimes if you get something easy, that, that next three goes in, um, you know, but they're, they're, they're a good offensive team, you know? And, and I think is when we did get a little bit of a lead, they start, you know, you start to, to get more aggressive shooting the ball and attacking St. Charlotte um, because you, you feel the game and you feel like you need to attack. And, you know, that's what they did. Ball hit a couple t- tough floaters. You know, those are, he can make that shot, but that's not an easy shot. And as I said, you know, we gave up a couple threes and we handed him a couple, a couple layups um, when we, when we turned it over. I think, you know, all those things compounded to, to lead to that run. Is there any concern that you guys are building double-digit leads and, and not even multiple games? Like it's a pattern where you guys are building double-digit leads and and, and surrendering them. Is, is there some emphasis in trying to put those, those I mean, games away? That was halftime as much as anything, right? You know, when, when you score 18 points or whatever it was, 19 in the second quarter, 18, 19, I can't even read it. That's what's going to happen, you know, and the, the, the more that we're conscious of, you know, making quick decisions, you know, I think that connects us and the defense uh, is the, the important thing to, to stymie those runs. You know, it's instead of a 12 point run, it's an eight point run. And, you know, that those two buckets, those four points make, make a difference, you know, especially if you hit a shot. But to me, it's less about, you know, 12, 10, 14, as it is about what are we doing, you know, that's allowing that to happen. And that's why, you know, I was so pleased in the second half that the way that we played there, there, you know, those runs, that one run came obviously, but I didn't feel like it was the same as it was earlier in the game. We were, we were playing the right way. As I said, even, there were times where I think we passed up a, a better shot, you know, just to, to, to move the ball. And, um, you know, I, I know, you know, I'll never complain about that, you know, because I think that unselfishness is something that really permeates our group. And I thought Donovan, like Donovan had a, was on the rim for a layup and he kicked it to the corner, you know, but those that's who we are. And I think our guys take pride in that. And the more we play that way, I think the less we'll see those types of runs. 
those couple of turnovers back to back in the fourth quarter in the a timeout after that is that just like a moment where like all right compose yourselves or what 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 needs to be done in that moment yeah, I think sometimes the timeout will help you get to the next play. And, you know, there's certain mistakes because of what the potential is on the other end that you feel them even more. Um, where, you, you know, you go from feeling like you've got numbers and you're going to score to all of a sudden they they lay it in and, and that, that can be deflating. So, you know, sometimes a timeout will help you collect yourself and just understand it's like, you know, made can't make that play, but, you know, we're going to get out there and, you know, we're playing pretty good outside of that. So let's get focused back on and the way we're playing and not that specific play. There you go. Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. Let's move along to the players. Let's start things off with Rudy Gobert. So in nine losses and over half of the losses that you guys have had, um, you guys have had double digit leads and you won this game, but you also had a double digit lead. And, you know, is that, is that, is that a concern for you guys? And, you know, what do you do about it? I think it's causing maturity, you know, and uh, the Hornets is a team that also uh, gets down early and uh, usually comes back. So it's, it's kind of the best of both worlds. Um, I think it's the way we play. You know, we, we got to remind ourselves that it's, it's natural when you get up 20 to, you know, kind of uh, relax a little bit, but we have to, you know, remind ourselves, remind each other uh, to keep playing the right way. Uh, I thought tonight, I thought we, 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 we kept playing the right way. You know, we just missed a lot of open shots. Uh, some night is going to happen. Uh, I don't feel like we, we let down at any time defensively, you know, Terry Rozier got hot, made a few tough shots. Uh, that's going to happen. But uh, yeah, except, except the second quarter, I thought the ball was pretty was moving pretty well the whole game. So, you know, I like the way we kept, you know, we kept playing. And I like the way we, when we got down one, three minutes left, we, we kept playing the right way, kept trusting each other. And, uh, and we were able to make the shots and make the right play at the right time. You're high. 15 free throws made in 16 attempts. Um, Quinn was talking about how he was finishing, how he was impressed by you finishing strong, of course, putting down the possession, of course, in the value. What was that? What was that for you? Uh, yeah, I could, I, I think I could have had a few more N1s. Uh, I missed a few more easy stuff, but uh, yeah, I'm just confident. I've been putting a lot of work on the free throws over the years, so. Uh, you know, uh, every time I shoot, you know, I shoot to make it. And tonight, uh, I got an opportunity to get to the line a lot. So it was, uh, yeah, it was great. It was- when you say that you played a lot of work over the years, what does that work at the free throw line look like? Is it just reps or how has your shot changed? Well, we, we, we've changed a bit my, my form. Uh, Started like about more than a year, a year and a half ago. Uh, so it was a, it was a process. Uh, you know, we kind of had to break it down to rebuild it. And uh, and now I'm feeling much more comfortable. You know, and uh, I think it's only going up. You know, from now like I, I can feel. I don't know what you guys can you can see better than I. I can probably feel it. But uh, yeah, I've been, yeah, I've been feeling better from the line. Kind of have more confidence in the line. Is it easier to kind of be aggressive finishing just because if you get fouled, it's like I'll still get two points? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm all, I've always been that the mindset. I've never been scared to get to the line. 
you know, some, some guys uh, have, have that mindset. I've never had a mindset. You know, I've always, sometimes I'm actually looking for the foul more than actually looking to score. So I need to, you know, go try to score every time and uh, keep playing with force. And uh, if they're going to foul me, you know, I got to, I got to punish them at the line and it, it changes, it changes the game. You know, they try to foul me, they get fouls and we, we, we get points on the line. So it's, uh, especially in the playoffs, you know, it's something that is very important. Talking about how when they switch, you're trying to seal down low. You kind of got to choose between whether you're giving your passer a target or trying to seal down low like this. How are you kind of playing that and kind of what's the feel there in terms of like um, Yeah, I think, you know, it's just, it's mostly about my, my balance. You know, make sure I don't, if I'm fighting with my arms, obviously if they throw the ball, I can't catch it. Um, I think about the last few games or this year, you know, this season, I think I've, and especially with the summer over in the, in Tokyo, in the Olympics, uh, I've got a lot better at taking position. And now it's just, uh, yeah, it's just a matter of, you know, making sure that when my teammates throw it, uh, they can have confidence that I'm going to catch it and I'll get fouled, you know, like it happened tonight. But yeah, just keep giving my teammates, my coaches confidence. Uh, and when I get it, you know, it's usually a foul or bucket. So, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I put a lot of work to be able to, to 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 do that and I know that it's it's key for us. You know, teams are have been switching against us and you know for us we have to keep having that mindset of punishing the switch, whether it's with the drive or it's using our bigs. And I think we got two dominant bigs that can really punish them on the switches. What was going wrong for you guys? other than maybe just missed shots when Charlotte on that 22 run and, and what did you guys turn around? And... Uh, once again, uh, there was there are some games where I feel like we really uh, get comfortable defensively or we let down. Uh, tonight, I mean, maybe we got, we let Terry Rosier uh, make a few shots, but I feel like we were right there. You know, we were guarding him. Uh, he's a tough shot maker. Sometimes he's going to get hot. That plus, you know, uh, we had a few few long ribbons or a few turnovers. But, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, turnovers are going to happen sometimes as long as we, you know, we lock in the next possession and we don't get like two or three in a row and give them lay fast break points, layups. Uh, you know, I think it's it's part of the game. But uh, I thought we kept kept moving the ball, we kept sharing the ball, uh, and we got open shots. You know, from guys that are fully pushed on three-point shooters. You know, so it's uh, we gotta we gotta live with that. Is there someone specifically that was working on working with you on your free throw when you were talking about like breaking it down and building it back up? So yeah, I got I got my I got my coach uh, Fernando. I've been working with for. A little less than two years, so yeah, it's, it's been it's been great. You know, I've been uh, working out of my house uh, at night. You know, uh, and uh, yeah, it's been. Uh, I can feel the. You know, I can feel more and more comfortable. So it's. Uh, I know how important it is for me to take another step, and uh, and also you know, like if I'm on the ball, I, I got to be able to knock down the free throws. Um, and uh, you know it's, it's it's key, especially once again, especially in playoffs. Rudy, oh, last one. Rudy, you guys had 22 offensive rebounds, 22 second chance points, and the offensive boards were pretty much spread out through the roster. What can you say about the effort, collective effort of getting to the offense? It's been a it's been a point of emphasis for us. You know, we we know that 
teams are usually bringing like two or three guys to, to box me out and uh and uh you know we if we're able to to get a rebound or even tip it out of bounds you know like we we it keeps the other team from running so it's either you know we always say no purgatory it's like either we spring back or we we crash we go to the balls but no in between and uh i keep telling the guys to yeah when i when i go and there's like three guys try to box me out like you leave some openings for those guys and uh royce is a, is a great rebounder i think donovan uh when he does like he can he's he's, he's, he's a great rebounder boyan uh rudy gay obviously you know all those guys the only one that has a pass is joe we just tend to run back but uh everybody else even mike can, can grab a few you know so uh yeah it's it's huge you know it's i think it's uh it's very deflating for the other team when we we get a we get a shot and we, we miss and we get another rebound and then we kick it out we get another three uh our dunk you know it's uh it's uh it's a huge part of what we do and i think that's why we've been uh even better offensively there's Rudy, 2020 for Rudy, 21, uh, or excuse me, 23 points, 21 rebounds for Rudy Gobert. Let's now go to Boyan Bogdanovich. I mean, exactly. You couldn't kind of blow them out easily. We had a 20 points, 20 points lead, but second, second half, we couldn't, we couldn't hit any three. We missed a, a lot of, a lot of free throws as well. But overall, WW, I mean, it's not like we like we wanted, but uh, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, who cares? You hit those two big threes kind of stretch after they had come back and taken the lead. Um, what was working for you in that situation? I mean, Donovan had a great, great penetration. He, he gets to the pain and then he hit me. I was I was wide open on on, on the right corner. I missed previous previous two from from the same spot but uh but I'm, I'm i'm confident taking taking my my shot and 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 they were looking looking for me as well i mean they play whole game one three one defense so they kind of wanted to slow us down like you mentioned before we had a a lot of wide open shot we shot 53 so if if we, if we shoot it like like we're usually shooting it would be easy game for us but uh I don't know. If you're asking me, it's better that we won this way after losing two 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 games straight, blowing out like twenty more than double digit leads. So I think that it's better that we won this way. You guys had those couple of turnovers in the fourth quarter when they took the lead. Uh, Nick Quinn takes a timeout. In the timeout, is that just like a everybody calm down kind of a moment, or what needs to be said when you guys are kind of a little loose with the ball? I mean, it was kind of calm down the moment they were trying pressure us full court because they was desperate playing two to one, two to one full court zone. So instead of turnovers, Donovan and, and Mike start to attack, attack them right away, and then how I got a two two. Two threes and then Donovan and Mike had a had a couple couple free throws as well. So it's just to put a ball in in their hands and and, and make them make them uh, make plays for uh, for themselves or, or for all of us. When you catch, if you're going to do a dribble and a sidestep or a pump fake, or if you're going to go straight up, because you kind of mix it up a lot. I mean, I really had a couple couple dunks. So Mike was playing on a on my side picking on a strong side so I think that Kelly was was on me he kind of pulled 
pull in a little bit and and, and I had in, enough time to to get the ball up right away especially I hit a, like I said I I hit a one from right corner before so I knew that uh that kind is is going in I mean they play they play small and he was he was just dominating them like especially on uh on the boards he finished with a 20 or more more boards couple couple offensive ones that are they were really really important for us but uh but overall he's he's doing his job every every single game so he's he's playing well there's Bogdanovich, 23 points. He also had some big buckets in the fourth quarter to uh, keep the the uh, the Hornets at bay as the Jazz win 112-102. Let's wrap up the player sound with Donovan Mitchell. Those couple of turnovers in the fourth quarter and then Charlotte took the lead. Those are also on like opportunities that you guys are going to have. Mm-hmm. And then Quinn takes that time out. What needs to be said at that moment? Honestly, after the past two games, nothing. Um it was real quick. It was just like, let's just fix it. Really wasn't much to say. Um, we knew. I think the the outlet that Rudy threw, you know, just being vigilant. And then Boyan's an aggressive turnover. Um, can't really complain about that. You know, we had numbers. He drove and tried to attack and he lost the ball. Those things happen, you know, but it's how you respond. Like I said, um, like I've been saying, you know, how do we respond from that? And, you know, you saw what we did after that. We called a timeout. We gathered ourselves and, and locked back in. Got to give them credit. They came back from a... a, a Last night they, they they got beat pretty bad, you know, and to come in here and then have the same thing happen, they could easily just let us do the same. But they came back and fought and competed, and you know we didn't make shots, but we played we played well. I think you know I think we played solid. We get turned the ball over, had some mishaps, but we did a lot of good things. You know, even though the shots didn't fall, but you know for us to come out with the victory the way we did, I think we're all happy with it. Jumping off that, I guess. I mean, the ball movement, like all of that, felt good. Was it just a case of shots not falling? Yeah, shots didn't go in. Typical shots, you know, missing layups, missing missing floaters, missing threes, and we 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 got to where we wanted. They they played zone. We were able to break it and get into the paint. But you know, sometimes the shot doesn't go in. You just got to step up on the defensive end, and it's tough when you're missing shots and they're hitting tough shots. You know, when we're missing and they're hitting tough shots, that's that's tough as. as as a for for morale, you know, I think it's it's, it's tough as well because you're sitting there just like man, like you know, I feel like it's just kind of happening over and over again. But you know, mentally being mentally tough, mentally strong, and being able to execute and down the stretch like we did, I think was huge. Is it is it a little weird to have a game where you guys shoot as poorly as you did and to have like universally everyone comes in here say we played really well tonight? Um, I mean, yeah, because I don't think you know you can dictate a performance off of made shots. You know, we've 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 kind of been that way because we have been shooting the ball well recently we've been it's been easy for us it's been you know blowouts i wouldn't say blowouts but it's been 15 16 point wins you know we're up a lot you know so for us i mean obviously losing the last two if you take the last two up out of it you know we were making a lot a lot of shots and and, and executing well so for us to have a game like this where we're up a lot not making shots they're making tough ones they're finishing getting tip-ins like off loose balls and stuff like that you know you can easily like i said you can kind of go left and just be like man like it's just a compounding uh I wouldn't even call it a mistake. It's just compounded thing after thing. Uh, but we didn't do that. You know, we were able to go in and continue to execute, do what we do, and, you know, trust in each other. The third ranked offense in the league in Charlotte. And, I mean, what did you guys do well against them defensively? Just made the shot, made it tough. Uh, Royce and Mike, I think, uh, did a great job. Uh, I will give them credit, you know, being making it hard on LaMelo. And, and Terry ended with 19 but or 17, whatever. But, you know, keeping them fairly quiet, you know, throughout the whole game because they're they're – 
very talented, you know, and I think that was definitely, you know, big, a big thing for us getting stops, uh, keep, keep kind of killing the head of the snake. Um, miles, miles did have, have a solid game. You know, he's playing well as well, but, you know, I think it starts with those two, those two go getters, man. And, you know, when you have Mike and, and Royce Garden the way they did, and obviously it's no secret Rudy's down there dominant as ever. Uh, but I think especially those two making it tough on the two guards, the two guys who get the offense going throughout the whole game. Um, Got to give him credit. When Rudy goes to the line, how more, much more confident are you today than you were when you first got into the league? I would say, I don't mean this disrespectfully, I would say a lot. You know, I think a lot of it was because I see the work and the progress that went into it. You know, when you first get here, you know, three throws weren't his strong suit. You know, finishing wasn't nice. Seeing him finish, you've seen him confidently get up there. Um, and I think, you know, you're just seeing it. He, he shoots those free throws. He's working on them, you know, because we're throwing him the ball. I think a lot more this year than we have in, in recent years. So now he's getting fouled. Now he's punishing these switches. And, you know, if they want to do that, you know, not so much just during regular season, but during playoffs, if they want to, you know, foul him and put him on the line, he's got to be able to hit like he did tonight. And, you know, he's got to continue to do that. And, you know, the, we see the work that he's putting in and it's showing now in front of everybody, but he's been putting the work in on, on that in particular on, on free throws because he understands that he's going to have to seal punish switches and, and get fouled and make the free throws. He mentioned that, Especially coming from a, uh, a jumper or a free throw, you know, from your, if you're changing your base or changing your, that can take a while. Um, that that's not something that just happens like, Oh, let me work on it from June to October and it'll be fixed. You know, it takes time, you know, and it takes going through rough patches. You know, I think that's something that people understand. Like it's one thing to work and change. And, you know, you look at, for example, it's not, it's not the same, but for example, you look at Lonzo ball, you know, how he's changed his over his career. It's not something that just happens, you know, overnight. So it's, it's a lot, it's a mental, it's a mental battle because it's not always going to be perfect, you know, going out there and continuing to find ways to put the work in and believing in it, you know, and he's believed in it and he's, he's showing it and he's, and he's doing it and they're falling. There's Donovan, 21 points on 7 of 20 shooting, 2 of 10 from 3. Donovan had 6 boards and 6 assists as well. Jazz win 112-102 over the Hornets. Up next, the Jazz have the Timberwolves at Vivint Arena coming up on Thursday night. That game will tip off at 7. Pre-game coverage begins at 6. There's the best of the post-game show. What is trending? All the headlines next. Your day has just begun. Yeah. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sport. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? ready? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Yeah. Hashtag Utah Jazz. Clarkson comes off a white side pick, gets in the lane, flares to the top to Ingles, has airspace, lets it rip, misses. Donovan, offensive rebound, back up and in. The Jazz have been dominating on the offensive glass. Gabe gives it up to Clarkson with three. He'll shoot the three. He'll hit the three. Jordan Clarkson flame on for the final two field goals of the third quarter. Rudy Gay drives, misses, gets his own rebound. Jams it back up and in. Mike Conley driving into the lane. Gets in the cup. Draws. Foul. Finishes the five-footer with the right hand. Rebound. Donovan Mitchell with a right-hand snag. Comes to the front court. Three defenders. He snakes through them. Gives to Bogey. Right side three. Pow! LaMelo all over Conley. Conley forearm shoves him in the chest twice. Ball is 6'6 with his outstretched arm. Rotate to Donovan. Donovan attacking from the angle right to the window. Finishes. Plus the foul. 
The Utah Jazz beat the Charlotte Hornets 112-102. They didn't shoot it well, but they had a huge early lead, and they played well in the final few minutes, and they get the win. PK, after back-to-back home losses, take it and run. Don't complain. Yeah. Don't complain about the details. You called it, DJ. I got to give you credit. <laughs> Why would you do that? <laughs> Is that off a promo that's begun to annoy you? <laughs> it's a nice win. And I like that they were challenged a little bit. You know, blow a 22-point lead and then have to come back. And then once you've got them, we've seen this plenty of times where the team that's trailing uses up a ton of emotion and energy and talent to get back in. And then the other team... Uh, wakes up and just puts you away and that's what we had that is exactly how it played out it was uh it was not looking good there for a couple of minutes but the last uh three minutes or so were were all jazz and uh they went off down the stretch there and 102 points pk if they could hold people to 102 points it would solve a lot of problems they could win a lot of games they could serve not survive nights that they don't shoot the three well which was last night. And then also didn't shoot the two well, for that matter. And they can survive all that but, because they got a lot of talent, a lot of guys, yeah. and they'll get enough to get by if they hold people to 102 points. Continuing on your numbers game, Rudy Gobert shot the one very well. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> How'd you shoot the one tonight, Rudy? <laughs> well, quite well, yes. Well, that's important, and I like no, the it accent. Is. Right? No, it is, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, the post game was hilarious. I enjoyed that if you were with us. Uh, we just played it for you in the last segment, or if you heard it last night. Rudy has always had confidence going to the rim and has always had confidence at the free throw line. But the rest of us didn't always have confidence, and Donovan got the question. Oh, no disrespect, but I have a lot more confidence now. I think Donovan speaks for a lot of us when he says that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how many times he's going to even get to the line 16 times, but go fifth, make. Score 15 points from the free throw line. I, I, I got to imagine that's a career high. I don't know how many times he's going to do that. But when you look at his form, there's no reason why he can't be good. His form looks fine. And back to Donovan's point, he's put a lot of work in on it. He said, uh, must have been Alex Jensen, I would assume. Rudy said he broke, broke it down over the last year and a half and built it back up. Well, you should when you're getting paid all that money and it's important to the team. This is your job. So it's hard for me to give him credit for doing something that he should be doing, but at the same time, I appreciate that he's doing it. Right, and we've seen other people who either haven't done it or haven't tried to do it or tried to do it and just couldn't pull it off. And we can go through a whole list of guys who shoot free, especially big guys, but other players too, who don't shoot free throws well. And when you're 15 of 16, that's an awesome night at the line. You've got to shoot the one well. And he shot the one well. 23 points, 21 rebounds for Rudy Gobert in the win. The Jazz win 112-102. They're off today, they're off tomorrow, and then the Minnesota Timberwolves come to town Thursday, and they don't think Rudy's uh, all that good at blocking shots or being a great defensive player. Kristaps Porzingis now, he really bugs him. So two or three days to play with that and get Rudy all fired up. I assume his teammates will drop a few mentions on him right there. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. We have five seconds to go. Nasty wow. crossover to the rack inside. Bubbled by Bradley. And then DeRozan Mason with eight tenths of a second. 
Well, it looks like DeMar DeRozan's out here playing against guys at the YMCA. Giddy's open and lays it in. Thunder by one, 96-95 with 50 seconds to play. Draymond dumped it down to Iguodala, back to the basket, finds Curry. Circles to the right, three ball, good. And the Warriors are breaking it up with a 10-0 one. Doug Christie wants another timeout. Here's a steal of midcourt, and Murray's got clear sailing. A two-hand slam for DeJounte Murray. Highlights from the NBA. The Warriors win again. They beat the Sacramento Kings 113-98. to They don't slip up very often, PK. They just keep winning. Since you love your stats, I saw one that when Draymond Green has a triple-double, the Warriors are 30-1. All right, so don't let Draymond have a triple-double, right? Uh, I would think that would be the goal every game, but sometimes, you know, he is better than you are preventing him. 25-6 and now for the Warriors. Percentage points behind the Suns in the race for the NBA's best record. They did have that loss in Toronto, but no reason to have back-to-back losses in the Warriors' world. They bounce right back and win and get the victory over the Kings by 15. The Sixers beat the Celtics 108-103. Joel Embiid. 41 points in that game. And late in the game when they needed buckets, they just kept going back to him, and he just kept crushing it. One shot after another in the post, stepping off the post, kind of making those Tim Duncan 17-footers from the angle. Money, PK, one after another. I flipped over to that game on NBA TV and just happened to hit the last two minutes in a jazz commercial break, and he was relentless. Yeah, he's a star. It's just a matter of him having availability. Yeah. Well, he was available, and uh, they had Ennis Cantor, a.k.a. Ennis Freedom now, on him. And uh, they had no chance. He had like nine points in the last minute and a half. Philly gets the win. They beat Boston 108-103. The Bulls, who are having a season, pick up another win. They beat the Rockets 133-118. to And the Spurs, who beat the Jazz, turned around and crushed the Clippers 116-92. to Spurs now. Eight and five in the last 13 games after a horrible start. They're playing a little better. And we already knew it, but now I guess it's official. Steve Kerr formally introduced as the next coach of the U.S. men's basketball team. He will succeed Greg Popovich. Lead them to the 2023 Basketball World Cup and the 2024 Paris Olympics. Eric Spolstra from Miami, Monty Williams from Phoenix, and Gonzaga coach Mark Few will be his assistants. Good. DJ and PK. Hashtag college basketball. Early game for the Utes tonight. 5 o'clock. Pac-12 Networks. The Utes and Fresno State. Fresno State coming in 9-2. and two. Steve Cleveland was just talking about uh, them and how well they're playing. Test the Utes. See what Utah has tonight. Your level of expectation for this one for Utah? Well, reading up on it, I don't think Fresno State has played a, a tough schedule. Uh, they got that one player, the big guy that uh, Steve was talking about, and I don't think Carlson is going to play. I think he's, what, a protocol for uh, for Utah? So I don't necessarily have that big of an expectation one way or the other. Uh, that's pretty much it. A lot of games on the Pac-12 network today, so the Utes will be playing a little early at 5 o'clock. they got like four games in a row there all day long if you want to watch college hoops. The Aggies host Portland State in the spectrum, 7 o'clock. Scotty G will have the call. It ought to be a win for Utah State, you would think. Portland State comes in with a 3-6 and six record. 
The Aggies are 8-4. Feeling like a scheduled victory right there. One of those games on the Pac-12 networks will be UVU. They're in Seattle taking on Washington. That's going to be at 7 o'clock on a Pac-12 regional broadcast. So, depending on whether you're like PK and you spend it up. Northwest. 500 bucks. Yeah, if you spend like 500 bucks, you probably got that then. You got the Pac-12 regionals, PK, and the the two systems you've got? Got them buried in there somewhere? Not on the screen. I can get them on the computer. Oh, there you go. All right, DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. Round two. Dead on. Yes, the Raiders sideline explodes. I give a jackpot, partner. Jackpot, there you baby. Go. <laughs> Kirk goes out of the shotgun into the face of the Bears fans. Kirk takes the snap, fires, caught, touchdown! A touchdown back right of the end zone for Emir smith Marset. The first touchdown of his career, and the Minnesota Vikings have taken a 16-3 lead. Well, the history has changed since that statement. You know, a lot of things went on last year that I was very proud of him, and I made a decision that this was best for our football team. Tampa Bay head coach Bruce Arians there changing his stance on troubled wide receiver Antonio Brown after bringing him back following his most recent suspension for submitting a fake COVID-19 vaccination card. Despite Arians' own comments last year in which he said to Brown, if he screws up one more time, he's done. Arians told reporters, well, the history's changed since that statement. A lot of things went on last year, and you heard the rest of it right there. So Godwin's out with an ACL, so they're going to put up with Brown. Is that pretty uh, – yeah, if I connected both on. of the dots? Just call it like it is. I'm going to drop the hammer on this. Godwin's we out We want to win. Our Hold other on. guy, yeah, probably our second-best receiver behind Evans, and not, not including the tight end. Yeah, he's hurt, and so we need Brown. I mean, Brown is just – he's all sorts of trouble. He's been all sorts of trouble for years and years, but he's good. And they need him right now. Godwin, they thought it was an MCL, but Chris Godwin is out with a torn ACL. So his season is over. Just say, Bruce, I am paid to win games. I'm not paid to be a uh, Boy Scout leader or some immoral uh, leader here. We're supposed to win games, and that's my job. He helps us win. You don't like it? What can I tell you? You also heard a jackpot there. A prompted jackpot, but a jackpot nonetheless. As the Raiders win on the final play of the game, 48-yard field goal from Daniel Carlson. They squeak past Cleveland, 16-14. Cleveland didn't have Baker Mayfield. The game was delayed because Cleveland's got a lot of guys in uh, COVID protocols. But the Raiders win the Monday afternoon game. Both those teams are 7-7. Seven and seven, A game out of the playoffs, but they got a lot of teams to leap in the final three games. So, difficult path to the postseason for both those teams. Big time uh... disappointing loss for Cleveland. Didn't Carlson, doesn't he look like he would be an excellent kicker? Long and lanky, looks like he can stretch like Gumby. <laughs> and just whip that leg through. Yeah. I mean, as they say, that would have been good from 65. The Vikings beat the Bears 17-9. If you thought there wasn't much offense in the Raider-Browns game, and there wasn't, should have checked out that Minnesota-Chicago debacle. Jazz were on. Jazz were on. Give it a pass. That was a maybe, good night to bury a bad yeah, game. Yeah, maybe like two or three plays here and there. Kirk Cousins, 12 of 24 for 87 yards with two touchdowns and a pick, and they won the game. But just keep giving the ball to Dalvin Cook and run the clock out because you got the lead, and the, 
Bears are turning it over on downs, missing field goals, turning the ball over. They were a mess. So Sometimes you just got to get out of the way and let the other team lose the game. And that's what the Vikings did. Vikings 7-7, seven and seven, keeping their uh, playoff hopes alive in the NFC. Two games today, Seahawks and Rams. Washington and Philadelphia. Washington and Philadelphia, both 6-7. and seven, So the winner of that game will have a good shot at the playoffs. The loser... Well, that'll be a little bit of a problem. It'll be a little little trouble there, a problem hole to dig out of if they if they drop that. But the winner will be tied for the last wild card with Minnesota and New Orleans. DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. USC reportedly hiring Texas A&M offensive line coach Josh Henson as the Trojans' new offensive coordinator and O-line coach as Lincoln Riley puts his staff together. Do we care who's on Lincoln's staff? I mean, I know it matters, but they have Lincoln Riley and he's supposed to win. He'll probably cycle through assistance because if USC is winning, that'll be a great path to getting a new job. So, But it's all on Lincoln at this point. Uh, I think it's on him and the players, certainly. you got to have the talent there, so I'm more interested in who the talent is going to be. Uh, i got to admit, I did not know who Texas A&M's offensive line coach Josh Henson was, but I am going to read up on him to see well, you know, why he was chosen. So I think you know the coordinators catch my eye for sure. And then in today's world, you can learn about these assistants and the success they've had recruiting. And that's easy to find out. So it, it certainly matters. I mean, I don't know anything about Henson and yeah. what what he's looking for and, and who, not and not just Henson, but basically who his mentors are. You know, when they hire Graham Harrell, we know one of his mentors is Mike Leach. Okay, well, that screams what type of offense they're going to run. I don't know much about Henson, so I've got to look it up and, and see where we go here. And then I mean, you'll know more by April, you know, when once we get through spring ball, we'll get reports on that type of stuff, and we'll have a better feel, certainly as we get into the summer and then get ready for Pac-12 Media Day, we'll be prepared to ask a lot more questions then than we are now. Pac-12 announced the formation of the Pac-12 Football Alumni Council, and it features former players from all 12 member schools led by Pac-12 Associate Commissioner and former NFL star Merton Hanks. They're uh, branding this as a football think tank. Discussing wide range of topics, football scheduling, recruiting, brand building, marketing. Utah represented by Steve Smith. Lincoln Kennedy is on this, so when he comes on with us, we can uh, talk to him about that. Uh, Brock Heward, Mike Bellotti, the former Oregon coach, some of the other recognizable names. Brandon Cooks from Oregon State, so there you go. Brand building, is that it? Figure out how the conference can push NIL money towards athletes and compete with the SEC? Yeah. To whatever level they can. And then we can talk to Lincoln about it and see what he says. But to me, this is more symbolic. Hey, look at some of the big names that we have as our alumni. And obviously they do, right? So looking at that list, I don't remember it off the top of my head, but I saw the email when it came out yesterday. And I went through the list and it's like, okay, sure. Yeah, right. I got this guy. I remember when he played, blah, blah, blah. Or if I don't remember specifically, like Lincoln Kennedy, although I do, but if I didn't, I can go, oh, well, he's a big name. He's a big guy, literally, but he's a big name. He's been around. He's in the College Football Hall of Fame. So I think the publicity of what the Pac-12 is trying to do 
is you know, basically how you guys down there in San Diego would parade, parade Don, Don Coriel out every third day. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's one of the legends of, in, in football coaching and an innovator and that type of thing. You know what I mean? I do. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. Mets make it official. Buck Showalter is the franchise's new manager. Is Buck good for what ails the Mets? Or you'd rather see their see the pitching rotation and know how healthy it stays? Well, I think that he is someone who is a stalwart in the game. He's a he's a detailed oriented dude. Oh, he's been around. Yeah. He's sixty five. I mean, you've got Larusa and Dusty Baker saying, "Hey, good job, kid. Good luck." <laughs> He famously was uh, hired to manage the Diamondbacks and hired a year in advance and wrote an entire, basically, encyclopedia on baseball the Diamondback way, how we're going to do things. That kind of stuff always cracks me up because that's going to last as long as you do. So He reminds me, and he's done a lot of work with the Baseball Network and maybe even ESPN, I can't remember, but I know I've seen him on television a million times over. And he reminds me of Hubie Brown. In terms of, man, he is just a basketball guy. And you want to break down whatever, whatever aspect of the game you want to break down. UB Brown can break it down in great te- great detail. He's not there to tell a lot of jokes. He's there to help you. Sort of like John Beck is as a football guy. John, when you talk to him, he's not one of these dudes who's going to be joking around a lot. He's, but he's going to give you great information about stuff that you need to know. Well, Showalter was the American League Manager of the Year in 94 with the Yankees, in 2004 with the Rangers, and in 2014 with the Orioles. So if he can stick around till 2024, maybe he can get an NL Manager of the Year. <laughs> Oakland A State in-house promoted Mark Kotze as their new manager. He was the third base coach under Bob Melvin and was hired away by the San Diego Padres. So the A's will... Keep it in-house. Try to win with their uh, their money ball and their low payroll. What is Trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. All right, coming up, to be determined, Joe Ingles later today. Uh, the Joe Ingles Show will commence we don't know at what point, so stay tuned for any update on that. And Riley Jensen, our college football insider, slated to join us at 8.05. The 2021 Road Home Holiday Mediathon is underway today and tomorrow. All of your donations are being matched by the Huntsman Foundation, who's donating $1 million. You can donate online at theroadhome.org. You can call 801-819-7300. The Road Home served over 6,800 people last year, nearly 2,000 of them children. They have more, hundred, more than 400 families in emergency shelter. $32 provides one night of emergency shelter for an individual. You can donate online right now at theroadhome.org. Call 801-819-7300. If you want to do it over the phone, 801-819-7300. Road Home, operating in the Midvale Family Resource Center, 
on 9th Avenue in Midvale and then on 10th West in South Salt Lake, the Men's Resource Center. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. This is Unrivaled. You guys are doing a hell of a job. And I think about where Utah football is today. And the fact that Utah now is playing Ohio State in the Rose Bowl. And I don't know if I've told you that yet, but that's what's what's going on. And I remember back at that time, 35, 36 years ago, where there wasn't even a snowball's chance that Utah would ever go to a Rose Bowl or ever play and compete against the Ohio State Buckeyes. That is unbelievable! Catch Unrivaled with Scott Mitchell and Alex Kieran weekdays from 3 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by KSLSports.com. Texas Joe's brought to you by Utah Facial Plastics. Losing your hair is 2021 and you don't have to. UFP Hair Restoration offers a range of cutting-edge therapies to restore thick hair permanently. Just text HAIR to 801-960-3137 for 15% off any hair loss treatment or visit www.utahairmd.com. Jazz blow a big lead but still beat Charlotte. Good enough. Eldon says win by one or win by 100. It's all the same. Christopher and and, uh, Wyatt both say a win is a win. Hayden says no. Hayden wanted Charlotte blown out, annihilated, beat senseless. Get out. Stay out. It looked like it was going to be that way, but we see this all the time where it comes so easy for you. And the other team then sort of goes through the motions, but then they have a run because you sort of go through the motions. And so it's almost like a cliche in NBA games uh, that uh, teams don't stay down in the entire fourth four quarters. I do think there's some concern here, and you got to be aware of everything and be prepared for everything and go over everything as to why in the last couple of games or last few games, whatever it is, that you have had some decent leads and you've lost them. Now, it's not from a position of panic, but try to understand what happened that got you the lead and then what happened that lost you the lead and, you know, how you can improve on them because this is a never-ending quest for improvement really you know certainly not there's no such thing as a quest for perfection in college or uh, nba basketball that's for sure really in basketball in general you hear the experts say you know it's a game of errors so see what you did particularly what did you do when you lost that lead and go through it and review it which i'm sure they will do a thousand times over and Try to take some information from it and see what you can do to improve because you have to improve. It's a constant game of trying to improve. I think in this case, they missed a lot of shots. In other cases, they didn't get stops, and the problem was at the other end of the floor. Uh, There are nights that they don't get offensive rebounds. I mean, they had 22 offensive rebounds less. The Jazz did, which is a phenomenally high number. But they had it because they missed a lot of shots. But if you're missing shots, grab a lot of offensive rebounds. And they did. 
Yeah, as I look at the opponents, you know, how good are they in rebounding? And I don't uh, look at the standings of all that stuff to see where they rank, but looking at them and watching the game, they don't scream to me, wow, they've got a bunch of guys that are just rugged on the boards, that type of thing. So you'd expect them to be able to do that. And particularly the way the lineup is set up for the Jazz, particularly the starting lineup, you know, your second best rebounder is a 6'4 guy. Well, that just screams that Gobert is going to have probably as many opportunities as anybody in the league to get his team's rebounds. And Hassan Whiteside had seven rebounds in 12 minutes. Again, a phenomenal pace for the limited time he's playing. That's a lot of rebounds. Right, but he's not on the floor with Gobert. Nope. Nope. It was a perfect one for one. Gobert played 36 minutes and. Whiteside played the other 12. So Yeah, right. So, I mean, per, in terms of um, rebounds per minute, Whiteside's going to be up there. Yep. Uh, but he doesn't play a lot of minutes uh, compared to O'Neal. And O'Neal does. And how many – last I checked, you know, had like 13, 14 boards, right? And so that's pretty good for – especially for someone his size. But I expect Gobert to be able to do those types of things because he's tall, he's good. That's what he's largely getting paid for defensively, which includes rebounding, although in this case, offensive rebounding too. So when he gets these 20 rebound games, I'm certainly impressed, but I'm not overwhelmed. It's not out of the realm for him to do that consistently because of the makeup of the team. And I think that what you just said about Gobert goes for the whole team versus the league. You're aware when they win, and you're impressed, you like the win, but for what the Jazz want to accomplish, for what the players want, the coaches want, what the fan base wants, got to get to the Western Conference Finals for the first time with this group, want to go further than that and win a championship. But when you've had the best record in the league, and your record is head and shoulders better than a lot of other teams, how many statement games are are there going to be where – you win one game, you walk off saying, that is really a good team. They can reach their goals. When you're sixth in the West, well, there's more teams to measure yourself against. But you get into the top three, they haven't played the Warriors or Suns. They won't until January, maybe for playing the Nets. But just, there aren't going to be that many games where a standalone game, you can look at a team and say they're really impressive. Most nights, if you get a win, you did what you were supposed to do because you're one of the best teams in the league. And you ought to beat Charlotte, who came in with a 16-16 and 16 record, and Hayward was out. You ought to beat them. I believe in statement games. I think you can play about uh, 25 of them, maybe. <laughs> in the playoffs. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't think there's such thing as a statement game in the, in the regular season. Uh, well, we know the Jazz have the Warriors coming up on the first but if the Jazz look great and they win, it'll still be, well, the Warriors don't have Clay Thompson back yet. Which is true, because they won't have him back yet. And they presumably will for those statement games you speak of in May and June. Right. Yeah. And you want to win, and then some games can give you a little bit more, uh, let's see, maybe confidence. Depending on if you need that. But if you need that, that seems like that's the teams that are trying to get to the playoffs. I mean, the Jazz are not trying to get to the playoffs. That is already sealed, you know, barring the ultimate uh, unbelievable disaster, right? Those, those teams, 
But the Jazz are not on that level now. It's about success in the postseason. And you listen to it, uh, all these, uh, the, all the national commentators. That's what they're looking at. What will you do in the postseason? And that's where if the Jazz want to get some motivation, oh, my gosh, because pretty much everybody and their dog. Uh, the, I think the, the who's the one? There's only one guy who doesn't doubt him in the playoffs. And was that Chad Ford? Or the rest of them, uh, <laughs> they, they, they do. You just listen to them, right? And, and, and Mitchell talked about that. I can't remember after what game, uh, or maybe it was an off-day Zoom session. I don't know. They all run together. But basically, you know, they do have to prove it. And the time will come here in a few months when it will be prove time. Uh, it's a fun game on uh, the opportunity New Year's night. As you said, that they play the Warriors. No question about that. That's you know I can look at it in a slew of games. That's a bigger game. I get that, and that's a fun game. That's sort of where you you can measure yourself a little bit. But I I don't know that I can say it's a statement game because I don't know that what matters what happened on January first when you get to June first or whenever you should be able if you have the opportunity to play them. It's not like, oh, man, remember what they did? I just don't know that. The regular season, they come at you one after another, and you try to win as many as you can. And then you want to make statements? Make statements in the postseason. I mean, look at the, look at the greatest players in the league history. Who can remember what they did in the regular season. We can remember some games. I mean, like what Jordan put something 50, whatever. Putting 55 on the Knicks in the garden. And I didn't even remember. I knew it was 50 something, but I don't remember. What what year was that? It was the year he came back from baseball. Oh, I can't, I can't tell you. Well, I had a documentary to jog my memory. Okay, fine. (laughs) I don't know if I would have gotten that off. But, and that's but it's still little, just one game standing out in a slew of games. But and yet we can remember a whole, a whole boatload of stuff about the postseason. Yep. Shrugging in Portland as he lit up the Blazers. I don't know why they're all going in. It's crazy, isn't it? I, I, think, I think that was in Chicago, though, wasn't it? Now you'll look it up. I know you will. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. the one I'm not going to look up. <laughs> on and on, that we can recall that, and that's that's a position you want to be in, because that means that you're really good if you're looking at it. Because no one is saying, "Hey, you know, man, what what are the what are the Grizzlies going to do in the postseason?" That's the way we're going to measure them. Now they're a nice up and coming team, right? I mean, they lost last night, I think there, but uh, you know, they they got some talent, and, and it looks like better days might be ahead. Uh, but they're not at that level yet, and there's few teams that are at that level. You know, maybe uh, five teams right now, six if you want to count the Lakers because of LeBron, and I don't have any problem if you do. Uh, but a couple of teams in, a, in the East, uh, Brooklyn and the Bucks. Uh, you know, uh, Sixers can ever get the Simmons things straightened out and see what type of talent they get back. I would consider them in there. But that's about it, unless somebody's um, missing somebody off the top of my head. Yeah, I think, I think you're being generous with Philadelphia. Yeah, I mean, if they got this, well, Embiid's a big time player, you know. He is, mean? so no doubt. So, yeah. and and maybe you could, in in time, with a healthy roster, you could put Denver in there. Uh, but right now, they've got uh, two starters out, and that, that's a significant blow. And they're not just role. Well, I mean, they're role players in extent, but they're high level role players. 
so uh, when they're healthy, you know, we'll reconsider that. But there's just a handful of teams that you're thinking, all right, their season is going to be determined by the postseason. So you want to be in there. Now, within that framework of those teams that are in there, there's a lot of pressure on the Jazz when we get to that point because of the fact that they did have the best record last year, and they're going to have one of the best. It doesn't look like they're going to have the best. I don't think that's fatal, but they're going, and it's a, it's a veteran core. It's not like, man, well, you know, let's give them a year or two to develop. Eh, not really. I, I don't know that I can say that a year or two to develop. Nah, not anymore. Not when you got three guys in, in your thirties that are making vital contributions and, and getting to the point of mid thirties. Now I realize Gobert and Mitchell are still younger and Mitchell really younger, but still he's been in the league and he's been the focal point basically since day one going back four years. That's crazy to think of uh, five years that it's been that long, but it comes at you fast. So that's why there's going to be a lot of pressure on these guys to see what you can do because you haven't lived up to at least last year. Anyway, maybe you can say they didn't, they weren't saddled with big expectations last year or before last year. But once you have the best record in the league, you are saddled with big expectations and not getting out of the second round. There's no other way to spin it. That is a bitter disappointment. And I'm sorry to some of our friends out there who don't want to hear this, but that is a massive underachievement. And yeah, I know Conley had the hamstring and go uh, Mitchell, blah, blah, blah. But the other guys didn't have their top guys either, including the one guy who's considered the top two or three players in the league. Well, by the time they get to the second round this year, it looks like they are going to be running into an excellent team in either the Suns or the Warriors. Because well, they ran into an excellent team right. last year. That's why they got beat. And there is uh, no way that Ryan Smith is sitting there saying, yeah, we're paying all this luxury tax so we can get beat in the second round. I didn't even bring that up. I didn't <laughs> so, even factor into it. But yeah, if you want to, absolutely. <laughs> so to say that a second round loss, any, any second round loss, it was a disappointment and it will be going forward. Because they're all in. They're all in right now. When you listen to the, you know, the preseason stuff, I mean, Ainge wasn't, I mean, he just got introduced. But when Justin Zanuck talked in the preseason, it was, I mean, the future is now. He didn't go all George Allen on us. But, man, that just echoes through the ages. And that's, you, you get in these, they call it team building. And you don't win until you have guys in your 30s, usually. And then as soon as you have guys in the 30s, you're on the clock. Because at some point... Guys are going to start having injuries and getting hurt. If this happens to LeBron, and it has, then it's going to happen to you too. I mean, nobody's more injury-proof than that guy, and even he's struggled yeah. with it. So, and they, they underachieved last year. Now, everybody, we're a soft media market, and I put myself right at the top, so I'm not calling out any individuals, but everybody wants to point out about their injuries. I mean, we, there's nobody who covers this team that doesn't want them to win. Nobody. Me included. So I put myself right at the top of the list here. And so we look to soften the blow. Soften it all you want, but losing in the second round with the, sec- with the best record in the league is not good enough. And they know it. They full well know it. So they're not probably going to get the best record in the league this year, but they're built to try to win it all. And that's great. And, and as you say, the owner is paying a ton of money to try to win it all. And if I'm a fan, which I am, that's good. That's what I want. I want them to be all in on winning. And it seems to me by outward appearances that they all, every one of them, 
that is in management, coaching, players, they all are in it to win it. Can they get it done? It's going to be tough. But that's what, the, that's what the task is, and I like it. More people weighing in. Jazz blow a big lead, but still beat Charlotte. Is it good enough? Eric says, can someone please explain how this team can go through a stretch in a game where it looks like no team on earth could have a chance to beat them and then in the same game go through another stretch where it looks like no one on the roster has ever touched a basketball in their life? That might be an extreme. (laughs) I like it, though, don't you? (laughs) But I also like that in to follow that through, completely come back to the original – All right, those first two points, I mean, he's making a point there and exaggerating, I understand that. But the third chapter of that is then they put him away again. And that, and and we could get lots of NBA people started on this, certainly Locke would do it. Uh, Most NBA games, there's three runs, and the team that has two of them wins. And the Jazz had two of the runs. And you can watch a Laker game, you can watch a Suns game, you can watch a Warrior game. Watch the Nets if you don't want to stay up late and watch West Coast games. And that holds true across the league year after year. There's a lot of games. Not all of them. There was one run in that Phoenix-Charlotte game Sunday night, and that was all Phoenix all the time. But there aren't that many of those games. It's usually they have one run, you have two, you win the game. And that's what happened last night. Jazz had a great first quarter. They had a great final three minutes. With the game on the line, they just went off. And I love the fact that, okay, they get the lead. Uh, I think they hit a three, right? Went up some like 93, 92, was it? Something mm-hmm. along those lines. And then Conley comes down, and it's a three, old-fashioned three-point play. You know, I love to see Conley do his thing. He's a veteran through and through. You know, we talk about the steady influence, all those cliches that are there. But I like the fact that it was him. And, yeah, it was a significant blow last year. I don't discount the fact that he was out. Uh, I'm a I'm little hesitant to go with Mitchell when he's going for 39-9-9. Kawhi was out. That's the thing that you got offset with Conley. That whatever problems you had with Conley, well, they had problems with Kawhi. So. But there's no question that they need him. There's just zero question that they need him. Absolutely they need him. And I like the fact that he's he's hardly ever rattled. And he rarely shows emotion. The other night... In the game that they lost, he showed emotion on the one play towards the end, and then they reviewed it, and it turns out he was right. (laughs) The one time he shows a little bit of emotion, like uh, towards the referee, they review it and reverse the call because Mike was right. You know, so you can't discount that. And they need him. They need everybody. There's no doubt about it because they're not this overwhelming superstar team that's just stocked with a bunch of Hall of Fame dudes. Uh, so they do need everybody. I understand that. And if they don't have somebody, uh, somebody, you know, Mitchell and Gobert are more critical than whomever towards the end of the rotation. But they do need everybody. Yeah. And hopefully at that point, because that's what you want. If you're going to lose, you want a fair evaluation. And yeah, I get it. They didn't necessarily have a fair evaluation because they didn't have the full team. It sucks. But still, you got to deal with it here going forward, and let's hope that they do have their full capacity of players. And I like their chances when they get to that point. I'm excited for them to see what they can do at that point. And that's the thing that ought to scare everybody about the Warriors is they're off to this spectacular start, and they don't have their full complement of players. They're missing the guy we would all label their second best player. It's a huge loss. And yet, look at them go. 
They are crushing it out of the gate. And they're doing it without yeah, Clay Thompson. I mean, they are, but that's why I don't look at these games and just go crazy because they're crushing it, and half the teams that they're crushing it against aren't going to make the playoffs. So what does that mean? Well, it means that they need to be ready for the uh, Suns and the Nets and whoever they get in the second round. Jazz, maybe uh, one of these teams, and the Lakers, the Clippers, and the Nuggets are all dealing with a ton of injuries. Maybe it would be the Grizzlies, though. Who are dealing with yeah. an injury of their own? I mean, John Morant. He's back now. He he's, he's back now, and now they've lost yeah. two straight games. So I assume that they'll struggle a little bit while his, uh, you know, the reacclimate somebody and everybody gets back to their new roles, new roles. But then, don't you think they'll probably go on a pretty good run again? Speaking of Memphis, yeah, yeah, they're a nice, they're a nice emerging team, right? No, so yeah, they're 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 going to be a tough out, even if you beat them four one. I think they're going to be a tough out because you can have individual games that are close, even if the overall series number doesn't indicate it. That's why I just don't look at, oh, they beat you 4-1 or you lost 4-1, whatever it might be, because the Grizzlies were tough, and I see no reason why they're not at least as tough as they were last year, and I'm, uh, logic would dictate that they're going to be better. But the thing about the Warriors, there was a few years back, and we all remember it, that they seemed unbeatable, and maybe I'm way off on this, and I very well could be. It won't be the first time, won't be the last. But I don't look at them as unbeatable or you need to go crazy to be able to beat them like it was a few years back. I don't see them in that spot, even though they're putting up a record that would indicate it. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Road Home Radiothon continues right now. We are joined by Alicia Gleed, communication specialist for The Road Home. Alicia, good morning. Good morning, my friend. How are you? I'm doing well. I don't have a million-dollar match from the Huntsman Foundation, and you do, so you know, you're a little <laughs> ahead of me, but good work by you. We're a little excited about it. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> so for people who don't know a lot about the road home, tell them, uh, tell them what you had to do in the last year with the pandemic, how that has changed things, and uh, how many people you've had to help and how it's worked. Yeah. So, I mean, our mission of the road home is to help people overcome homelessness as quickly as possible and move back into a home of their own. And so everything that we do really revolves around helping people move out of homelessness um, and moving back into housing. And so, you know, with the pandemic, I think that definitely provided um, plenty of challenges, right? Trying to ensure that the people that we serve are staying healthy and safe. Um, we've been working with many, many partners to help with this kind of, with this goal, um, because of course, shelter is a hard place to be during a pandemic, you know? And so we've been really grateful for our community partners and our team has just been incredible working with people still every single day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you know, um, to ensure that people, one, have a safe place to go if um, they are in need of emergency shelter, um, especially like our families, um, and also making sure that um, they're staying as healthy as possible while while there, while still always working on that goal to move back home um, quickly. So over the last year, we actually served um, over 6,800 people and nearly 2,000 of those were children. Now, the one thing that's, um, and that's just in um, our emergency shelter, but the exciting part of that is, is again, our housing programs are so important because we know that the 
way to really end homelessness is to help someone move into a home of their own that they can stay in and, um, you know, be able to be stable in and things like that. And so on any given night, we're actually serving more people in our housing programs than we are in our emergency shelter resource center programs. So that's that's definitely heartening and enlightening. So we're so excited about this event to be able to help tell some of those stories um, with our staff and like the great work that they're doing to tell stories um, more about the people that we serve and of course to help raise those vital funds to um, provide those programs and services that help people move back home. Approximately 750 people helped every day with emergency shelter, but double that, over 1,500 people helped with housing every day to keep them in housing and uh, keep them uh, self-sufficient. Alicia, we appreciate all you do. If you want to help Alicia, you can donate online right now at theroadhome.org, theroadhome.org, or call 801-819-7300, 801-819-7300, or online at theroadhome.org. Alicia, thanks a lot. Thank you so much. DJ and PK, coming up, top of the hour, we're going to visit with Riley Jensen, our college football insider, and Joe Ingles, coming up later this morning, 9 o'clock. Yach's just gotten the word. I literally two minutes ago. 9 o'clock, Joe Ingles, right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. This is Hanson Scotty. Let's do it. Danny Ainge has been named as the CEO of the Utah Jazz. Scotty, you called this going back into June, essentially. Obviously, Ryan Smith is an absolute brilliant mind. But I also think that in his mind, he's like, okay, I'm a brilliant mind in business. I want to be a brilliant mind in NBA management. In order to do that, let me get the most brilliant mind around next to me. This is going to sound like a criticism. Trust me when I say it is not because I respect the heck out of it. Danny Ainge is a cold-blooded killer when it comes to making moves necessary to try to win a championship. You look at the moves he made in Boston, when something has to be done, and it may not be popular for your fan base, but in your mind, it makes you better, he's going to pull the trigger on it. What kind of a show is this? Catch Hans Olsen and Scotty G every day from noon to 3 on 97.5 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com. Mika Couture wants you to help out this holiday season with the perfect gift. Stop by any location from Ogden to St. George today. Mention Zone 50 and save 50%. Guys, it's a no-brainer. Get in today, save 50%, and get the best gift ever from Minky Couture. Question today, part two, because we're in that overlap between football and basketball. Got a lot going on. The football question of the day. Now that BYU and Utah State are done... It's time to talk Rose Bowl. Where should we start? Well, I feel like we've already started, PK. <laughs> but you want to talk some more? <laughs> yes. You can never talk enough. What do you mean I you know, want to talk some really, more? We're not really starting here. We, we are. We started the Monday after the Pac-12 title game. But now we're done with Utah or BYU and Utah State. Now we focus in. That's on the true. Sure. We no, did that two weeks ago. There's no smorgasbord now. There's one game to focus on. And that's the, you, the whole point is the focus is on it before the focus wasn't on it. So now that the focus is on it, where do you go? The glory of the San Gabriels. I'll tell you. The energy as they come charging out of the tunnel and the stadium goes wild. I'm always willing to tell you where to go. 
<laughs> you go over there and sit in the corner and be quiet. <laughs> I think as we begin the countdown to the Rose Bowl, and I think we had to get through with the other two bowl games, but now it literally is the countdown to the Rose Bowl. And now that we're here, I think we need to take a moment and recognize what an absolute incredible accomplishment it is that they got there in only 11 years, and really 10, because last year didn't count as far as I'm concerned. You only play three or four or five games, and one of those games you go up against SC, and SC had already played one or two games, and you're sitting there getting games postponed left and right. I mean, that's never going to happen again where uh, one of your South Division rivals, opponents, whatever, I've got no call, problem calling them a rival. I won't call them the rival, but the way the conference is set up with the divisions, they are one of your rivals. you got several of them, all of them really. And with that in mind, you know, they had played games. That will never happen again. So I forget last year. I think it's one heck of an accomplishment that the University of Utah program has got to the Rose Bowl in a decade. And I don't think we've celebrated that enough because there's been so much going on. And now that we step back a little bit, I think it's time to celebrate what an incredible accomplishment it is that they got there. How would you like to celebrate with a trip to Pasadena? Are you giving away one? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> Yaks in. He's ineligible. Road it. trip. <laughs> I just want to The go David enjoy. James trip to Pasadena. <laughs> sponsored by, I like it. <laughs> David James. <laughs> this is sweet. Good job for you. There's a lot of negativity out there, PK. Mike says Ohio State 48 to 14. Yeah, but see, that's not the point now. Shane, how much are the Utes going to lose by? Uh, people want to get right to it. Want to downplay the Utes getting no. there by saying they're going to get blown out. Not, I don't want to do that today. I want to celebrate the phenomenal accomplishment that is them getting there. We will do that with Riley Jensen, our college football insider. He joins us next. Right now we're joined by... Mike Wagstaff, he is a supporter of The Road Home. The Road Home Radiothon continues on. You can donate right now. 801-819-7300 is the phone number. 801-819-7300 or online at theroadhome.org. Mike, good morning. Good morning. Mike, you're one of the sponsors of The uh, the Road Home. You're a big supporter. Why? What has caught your eye? There's a lot of good causes out there. Why have you chosen chosen this one? So The Road Home is an amazing, amazing program. Uh, we've been involved for several years i have a good friend that's on on their board and so i i see the good that the road home shelter does and we love to support and be a part of it and when you say we are you talking about holiday oil yes holiday oil we've had a, probably a 20-year tradition of trying to give back to the community so this year between our customers and ourselves we raised uh, eighty-five thousand dollars. <throat> we used 26 of that with our own team members to go shopping for the candy cane corner that the road home provides for families. And so they were able to go out and shop for the individual kids. So we'd love to give back to families. And then we used uh, $25,000 of that for our own uh, families in our communities around our stations that uh, our store directors were able to reach out to and find and want to give great kudos to them 
for going out. That's kind of a hard thing to find families that are in need and to be able to uh, communicate and uh, work with those families and be able to give give back to them. And then we have another $33,000 that uh, we are donating to the road home shelter. So that's what we've been able to accomplish this, this year. So just really appreciative of our customers that donated, our employees that uh, help put it all together. We have this doing good committee that uh, organized this and put it all together. So it's just been a phenomenal year for us. So is there one moment, one story, you say you've got the, the, the friend on the board where you thought, I'm all in, this really motivates me? So I, it's just overall, it's just amazing to see the goodness of our community uh, the families that come together to to bring goodness uh, into our community. I, I just can't believe um, we have so many amazing team members um, that just go out of their way to motivate others to lift and raise those around us. Our, our own employees, our uh, family and friends, our customers, uh, are really it's just inspiring to see the goodness that goes on in our community and in our company. Well, Mike, we want to thank you for all your support. And if you would like to join Mike and Holiday Oil and donate into The Road Home, you can go online to theroadhome.org. Theroadhome.org, or you can call 801-819-7300. 801-819-7300. They had nearly 2,000 children served last year by The Road Home. And for $32, you can provide one night of emergency shelter for an individual. Mike, thanks a lot. We appreciate it. Thank you. Merry Christmas to everybody. Merry Christmas to you, too. When we come back, Riley Jensen joins us, our college football insider. Stay with us. Join Anson Scotty Wednesday at LHM Riverdale from noon to 3 at 1481 West Riverdale Road in Riverdale. Joined right now by our college football insider, Riley Jensen. He's on the Smart Rain guest line. Smart Rain state-of-the-art smart irrigation controller helps with first-class water management. Visit smartrain.net to learn how to save 30 to 50% on your commercial property's water costs. Or call 877-346-3333. Riley, good morning. What's up, dudes? How's everything going? Not not as good for us as it is for you. Have you come down yet from Saturday night? You were on Twitter going berserk. Yeah, I don't know that I've ever seen or heard you more excited about a team winning a game than the Aggies winning that bowl game and getting win number eleven. Listen, listen, I'm, I, I, you know, I converted halfway through the season because PK told me that if it wasn't ten wins, that we were, that that it was bust. And so once I got converted, I was all in. I'm like, I'm like, a, I'm like a, a convert that's really excited about Utah State football. Riley, I didn't convert you. The spirit of football converted you. <laughs> I love your humility. I love your humility. <laughs> oh, man. No, I, and, and, and please, Utah State fans, don't like drive off the road saying I got converted to Utah State football. I, could, I got converted to the idea that they could win 10 games, and they won 11. I mean, it, seriously, it was... It was very fun. I thought the one thing that I that I didn't expect that was a little bit more fun as a Utah State alumni and fan was I, I just thought the L.A. Bowl had kind of a good look to it, a good feel. I mean, the SoFi Stadium, I thought it was going to be so big that it just looked ridiculous on TV. It sounded loud. I thought both teams played really hard. 
Um, they looked like they both wanted to be there and that they both wanted to win that game. I thought, and then I thought, again, and, and I know that I've given you guys some guff about the defense, but I think we all know that the defense at certain times during the year was just like a big head scratcher. Like, God, what are we, what are we going to get out of these guys? But whatever they, whatever they figured out, you know, over those last two games, that was, that was a, a really high level of defense that Utah State played. And then, God, you know, the offense has played so well. And then, you know, Cooper Lega, you know, at least everybody knows how to pronounce his name now. <laughs> you come in, I thought Legas looked good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you come in, you throw a touchdown on your first pass ever. I mean, people are going to figure out how to say your name. So there was just a, a lot of fun things if you're a Utah State fan. Um I was, you know, my my parents are Utah State Aggies. I have uncles that are Utah State Aggies. A lot of their friends are Aggies. A lot of them were arguing with me that the best team ever is the 1961, you know, Merlin Olsen, ranked number 10 in the, in the nation, 9-1-1. One, and one. And there's lots of good reasons to think that, that that might be the best team. But this is the most current, and it's the only one I've ever seen that's played this hard and this consistent for the whole season. Riley Jensen, our college football insider, joining us. So, that was a huge, uh, just a just a huge exclamation point to the season for the Aggies. How disappointed should BYU fans be over their bowl loss, or do they write it off, backup quarterback, rain game, uh, lots of injuries on defense? It doesn't, it doesn't diminish the season. Well, I'm not, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to tell them whether they can be upset about it or not, but I, I don't know. I think I think there was a little bit of a taste. I mean, just from the outside looking in, I was kind of hoping that all three teams would win their bowl game and that all three teams would, you know, like kind of ride off into the like best best season ever for the state of Utah for the for the three, you know, FBS teams. So I, there was a little bit for me that was disappointed. I, you know, I thought I thought they played well enough to win that game. I thought defensively, I was a little bit shocked in, in certain places where they weren't where they weren't able to make those timely or or those important plays where you get off the field and give give your offense a chance. And then, you know, I don't know about the Samson Nakua call. I thought I I really didn't think that he made a football move. I, I, but you know, that's one of those things where you just got to take care of the football, and then you don't have you don't have to leave it in the referee's hands, right? And even though I think that was probably a bad call, um, I, I, I guess going back to your original question, I, I'm a little bit disappointed about it, so I'm sure that BYU fans are a little bit disappointed, and I think it's okay. But I still think it's a great season, and I still think there there are so many things to be happy about if you're a BYU fan. I'm going to go back to this quarterback situation for Utah State. Now, he knows that he's elevated from third to second team in this game, so it's a little bit different. But how does somebody stay ready and mentally into the situation when you've not had any opportunities to do anything in the games? Well, I, I will say this. When, when, when you play in a bowl game, the, the, reps are, the, the reps are a little bit different. So typically, whenever I was involved in a bowl game, 
the whole first week is kind of like get young guys some extra reps, right? So, and and depending on 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 when you know finals are and all that kind of stuff, and you're working you're working out a lot of details when you're doing this kind of stuff, and then. Of course, Utah State's coaches are going to be out on the road recruiting really hard in the first week. And then in the second week, they come back and they kind of get prepared. But my guess is is that Cooper had a lot of reps, a lot more reps than he normally would have. Um, I, know, I know that Logan Bonner had been injured quite a bit during this year. I mean, his, his ankle has never really had you know, that opportunity to heal the way that, that, that he would like it, the way the team would like it. And he's been very, very tough. He's been very scrappy throughout the whole year to be able to. But my guess is also that he didn't take as many reps because he was hurt. And so you've got, you know, you've got two quarterbacks out now. My guess is that he got a lot of reps. But that doesn't, I mean, that all being said, you have to have a special kind of mentality as a second-string quarterback, as a relief pitcher, as someone. You have to have a certain level of maturity to be able to handle that situation because it's not easy. Um, everybody thinks like, oh, yeah, man, it'd be so great. You play college football. You don't get hurt. You don't take the hits. But as a competitor, you have to be able to sit there and go, okay, i got to get mental reps here. i got to do well on the reps that I get. And then who knows? If I get called, i got to be ready to go. But, I mean, you're also looking at a kid. I mean, Cooper Legault won two state championships as a quarterback. He, I think he threw two state championships as a javelin and then had two as a wrestler. I mean, this is, this is a competitive kid. And for, you know, <laughs> I love wrestling, so don't, everybody don't get mad at me here. But, man, if, any, if anybody plays football and they wrestled, Every single wrestler in the world has to tell me how great that is. <laughs> I always get lectured about, oh, my gosh, he wrestled in high school and he played football. That's why he's such a good football player. No, he's just a freaking stud athlete. Like, I don't care whether he wrestled or not. He's a, he's a really good athlete. So, um, But he is. He's a competitor. And I think he was ready. And I think you have to tip your cap to him a little bit because that's not an easy situation to be in. So how does the quarterback situation play itself out next year? The transfer portal's a big thing. you got three guys who have to be thinking. They have to be thinking, I could do it. I could be the guy. I could be the guy, and we could go big. They all have to be thinking that. I think all, I, I think all three of them could make an argument that, you know, that, that they should be or could be the guy. I think – I think those are good problems to have as a coach, or at least they used to be good problems to have. Now, I would not be surprised if one of those quarterbacks isn't here next year. And I, and I don't have any inside information. I don't have – but just the nature of the position, the nature of the fact that all three in different games this year really contributed to that Mountain West Conference championship and um, played really well at certain times – they all three of them have enough film to to do whatever they want, um, but I just think I, I and I don't think it'll be Logan Bonner. I think it'll be one of those two. But Cooper has, he, you know, he he has a few more years left of eligibility. So you're you're looking at somebody that like could maybe be patient for a year, and then and then and then kind of take over the program. So it'll be interesting to see. It'll be really really interesting to see how this all turns out. 
The key now for Anderson and the Aggies is to keep this thing going. And, boy, he really set a standard here, obviously, in the first year. And we were talking about this the other day. You know, Boise has hit on so many good coaches that maybe they're due <laughs> to not have a right? slam dunk who's going to go on and, and get a big P5 job, P5 job because there's been so many of them. So what can the Aggies do? to maintain this and do you think they have a legitimate shot now to be uh at least in the division the team to beat well i don't think they're the team to beat till they beat boise (laughs) they didn't beat boise you got me there yeah i mean i I, listen i i would love i would love to say that but i mean there just hasn't been enough wins over boise you know over the years for us to to really just like you know pound our chest and say we're the team of the division, although I think they made a huge statement this year. I think I think that's one thing that you would use as motivation as a coach, right? Like, look, we haven't we haven't really put them in their place. We haven't really put them where they're supposed to be. And man, I hope you're right. I hope you're right, PK. Because man, it'd be nice if if Boise State could just like come down a notch and not land every single coach for eternity, you know. And uh, but but Utah State sent a huge message. I think they did such an impressive job with the portal last year and there's indications that they've got you know, they got a linebacker out of our Arkansas State portal. They got MJ Tafisi who I was around when I was coaching at Alta who's transferring from Washington who's an absolute missile as far as like playing linebacker goes, they seem to have filled in some of the gaps in offensive line, which they wanted to, and linebacker, which is what they're really going after. They've got a BYU legacy from uh, Jason Anderson, who's – I remember when I played football at BYU, I, I seriously saw Jason Anderson, and I thought, that's the biggest human being I've ever seen in my entire life. I've never even seen – I mean, he goes like six eight. When, when we were in college, he was like 6'8", 300. He could run. He played in the league for the Patriots. His son, Teague Anderson, is playing for the Aggies. Um, so there's there's just some there's some indications that, one, they really know how to use this portal, and two, they're going to continue to fill in the gaps the way they need to. And, man, with with Logan Bonner and, and, and these quarterbacks on the on, – <clears throat> On the team, I think you have to say that they they have a legitimate chance to make a run at the championship. Now, will be will it be as good as this year? I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, look, it's 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 arguably the best team in the history of Utah State, uh, with the exception of you know maybe 2018, 2012, and I guess 1961. But you're talking about you're talking about easily top five team. So to replicate that is going to be tough next year. But I think there's been enough success in the last nine, ten years at Utah State. I mean, I think, what is it, nine out of the last 11 years they've been to a bowl game? I think you're starting to – I think you really have to say, if you're a Utah State fan, this is kind of the golden era of being a Utah State fan. Now, the argument of the older generation is like, well, bowl games are like a dime a dozen now. Like, you can go to a bowl game, you know, for nothing. But – Back in the day, we weren't even bowl eligible, you know, and so at least they're bowl eligible every year and giving themselves a chance to do something. But this is a this is a really really good era for Utah State football, and I think Blake Anderson. I mean, 
hopefully he's the guy that's, you know, the Urban Meyer equivalent that really takes him to the next level and really becomes like, you know, starts to put it to, to Boise State when they need to and starts to put together amazing seasons for Utah State. And then you just kind of go, wow, okay, this is exactly where you've always wanted to be. Now let's take advantage of it. And so, I listen, it's it's a good time to be an Aggie. It's always a good time to be an Aggie, but it was especially good this weekend. So there's one football game left for the locals now. Now the BYU and Utah State are done. The Utes and the Buckeyes in the Rose Bowl. It's time to talk about that nonstop and obsess. Where would you like to start? One thing today that you would like the people to consider about the granddaddy. Ooh. Well, I, I the, the the one thing that's just really fun, and I've I've never been to that game. I've been to that stadium. I know people that have played in that game. I had teammates that played with me at Snow College that went to Wisconsin and played in that game. It's just a it's just a really fun game, right? It's a really fun game to think about. It's a really fun game, even from the prestige of having gone to the Fiesta Bowl and the Sugar Bowl. But I think I think I think part of this is just kind of it's kind of fun for me to think that they're playing a traditional Big Ten team in the Rose Bowl. They're playing Ohio State. I mean, that's just kind of a – I mean, that's a good name. You go, you win that game, you know, it's like beating Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. Like, there's there's nobody that can say that you're not a legitimate team if you go and you win this Rose Bowl. And I think I think Cam Rising, I think you give him four weeks to prepare. I think Kyle Whittingham, you give him four weeks to prepare. You you – you take, you know, Morgan Scally and give him four weeks to prepare. I think I think this is a scary team right now. I I, I don't think if there was a twelve game playoff or even a you know, a sixteen game playoff, I don't think anybody in the top sixteen would want to be playing Utah right now. Oh hell no. <laughs> Thanks, Booner. <laughs> <laughs> You've always been a Utah homer. I mean, you've always just been hey. all about the Utes. So since, oh, before, hell, about no. it, since before he was born. I mean, <laughs> you look at my background growing up back east. I was like the lone Ute fan on my block. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. I knew I was on to you, and he just admitted it. Everybody I mean, listened. Yeah, just admitted yeah. it. He's a Utah homer. I go back to Lee Gross Cub and Larry Wilson. Ooh. Larry Wilson was in my office the other day. That's a, that was a nice pull right there. That's a, well, that's a, not, that's not a the real... Larry Wilson who was the Hall of Famer who played safety. <laughs> okay, maybe not that one. I'm thinking of the the former Highland Harriman coach who's like that's a, a legend coach. Yeah. 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 Well, Riley, we appreciate it. Congrats on your Aggies Bowl win. And now uh, the countdown is on. We get on this side of Christmas and then the hype for the Rose Bowl, really. There'll be people in the airport every day and Cars headed it's south. Fun. It's a fun. It's a fun time to be a fan of football in the state of Utah right now. A yeah, really absolutely. fun time. Yep. Thanks, Riley. Okay, guys. Thanks, Riley Jensen, our college football insider, joining us right here on ninety-seven five at twelve eighty the zone. Yeah, you do that. <laughs> <laughs> The granddaddy, PK. What is it? 11 days away now. Yeah, I think the hype needs to start now, and I think it's absolutely awesome. This is the biggest, best thing that's ever happened to Utah football. This has been the dream for decades, that the local teams are going to play on big stages with the big boys, and there are all these steps along the way. 
you know, scheduling home and homes, facing them in bowl games, and we can go along, but there's nothing higher than the Rose Bowl. There'll be one game on TV, and the whole country will be watching it. And I'll be watching it, too. Yeah, I'll be watching go. it in person. Looking forward to it very, very much. All right, the countdown's on, 11 days to the Rose Bowl. We're joined right now by Joshua Creek, Supportive Services Manager at the Road Home. Joshua, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. The Road Home Radiothon continues, and for those of you who'd like to donate and support the Road Home, you can go online at theroadhome.org or call 801-819-7300. And Joshua, Supportive Services Manager, we talk about you know, 2,000 people served by, the, or 2,000 children served by the Road Home in the last year, 6,800 people. You do supportive services, so what kind of supportive services do you provide? What, what is your job like? What kind of impact are you making? Yeah, uh, it's actually wonderful. Uh, what we get to do is we get to help f- people find housing and get them into uh, a stable place to live long term and off the streets. Uh, our mission is really to end homelessness and work, uh, do the work of getting people connected into housing and uh, create a foundation for everything uh, to, to build their life off of. And that's kind of the foundation of everything we do. Uh, last year, we assisted 3,396 uh, individuals with housing. Uh, our role here at the Men's Resource Center is to locate individuals in shelter that are looking for that housing and provide them with the services they need in order to get into that uh, housing. So how does the supportive housing work? Are there individuals or businesses providing you with apartment units, condos, houses? How, how does that work? Yeah, we're we're in the same uh, same ballpark as everyone else. We're we're out there looking, uh, pounding the pavement. We have housing locator teams here uh, that look for apartments to uh, connect with landlords or property management companies uh, and get them um, to to you know rent an apartment to to one of our clients. And um, stay here at the Source Center. They they move into those places uh, all throughout our community. Um, you know, we, we work with individuals and businesses every day. So we have a, a long list of, uh, for people who don't know how this works, we have a long list of facts and bullet points we can share. And one jumps out at me here. $45 donation covers the application cost for an individual seeking housing. For people who haven't moved, uh, who haven't moved around, looking for housing can be as expensive as paying for housing. Is that one of the things you guys are dealing with? Absolutely. Um, one of the things that we deal with is not just applications for housing, but then you also have deposits, right, or first month's rent. Uh, and, you know, when you're, you're down on your luck or you're, you're struggling to make ends meet, that's a huge, inc- uh, a huge cost to, to move into housing when you're uh, especially starting from the street. So, Joshua, one pitch. Why should people donate? Why should they pick up the phone right now at 801-819-7300 or log on to theroadhome.org and make a donation? Absolutely. Uh, we have a ton of folks out in our community right now that need uh, our community to come together and assist them, and we're the uh, vector for that. Uh, we are here every single day, day in, day out, 24-7, providing emergency shelter and low barrier assistance to, to help individuals move into housing and away from uh, the streets and able to move on with their lives. 
that is our mission. That is what we do. It's the, the foundation of what we, we strive to achieve. Uh, we are seeking to end homelessness. We are seeking to um, provide as much assistance as humanly possible. Uh, by doing research, right, analyzing and finding new opportunities, adapting to situations, that's what the road home does. It's in our blood. It's in our DNA. Uh, we start with that. Um, and we invite the community to come join us as we, we move forward throughout the next year. Joshua, we appreciate all you do. Thanks a lot. If you'd like to support Joshua, go online to theroadhome.org and make a donation now or call 801-819-7300, 801-819-7300. Joshua, thanks a lot. Thank you, and happy holidays. This week's Raider game against the Broncos is brought to you by America First Credit Union, the exclusive home of the official Raider debit card. All of the same great features and benefits now with the silver and black. Learn more at AmericaFirst.com slash Raiders. This I'm week's done. game. I'm done. This week's game. I mean, we got games every day. Who can keep track? I'm done. Two games yesterday, two more today. And PK's done. When I hear this tune, I'm done. I, 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 my, my mind is taken to the Caribbean. I can't <laughs> <imagine>. <laughs> So I saw pictures of BYU basketball arriving in Hawaii yesterday. I thought of this exact song. Oh, okay. Hawaii's, Hawaii's that, that, that's a good oh. consolation if I can't go to the uh, Caribbean. Yeah, I'll take Hawaii. All right, poll question. Rank them. <laughs> Florida Keys, Hawaiian Islands, the ha- oh, Bahamas, geez. or others. Man. Wow. wow. Uh, what were my three choices again? Hawaiian Islands, Florida Keys, Bahamas, or others. Well, I've never been to the Mediterranean, but I've seen some photos. It looks yeah, awfully good. It looks spectacular. I'm going to go. I haven't been to the Florida Keys, but you have. I have. Yeah, they look pretty yeah, good. Absolutely. They look good. Yeah, the, the, I, I made the drive down. It was absolutely the coolest thing. Just uh, We rented a convertible and uh, drove down, and it was just marvelous. It took about eight hours because we stopped 25 times, jumped in the water, Got something to drink or eat. Hung out. Yeah, <clears throat> it, it, it it's great. Any time you have some place to go, but you don't care when you get there, and so you can take as much time as you want, and you want to take a long time. Like we joke with, uh, we have a standing joke with Monsons, and we did this when we first moved over there. I had a little Nissan truck. And my wife and I took a, a drive up the Pacific Coast all the way up to San Francisco, and we camped. We didn't have any money, so we camped. And we rode along the coast. You've probably done it, and many of our listeners have. And we had nowhere to go, right? Wherever We had like a week, wherever we wanted to go. I think the only thing we had, we were going to see a Giants game at Candlestick. That was it. And so we joke with the Monsons that the four of us are going to do that. And he comes up with this bright idea. Well, if we take Highway 5, we can get there quicker. <laughs> well, you idiot. That's not the That's point. That's not the point. <laughs> That's not the point, Jordan. You gotta, so, the goal is to dial it back here. Right. And by so the way. Where this are we going anyway? We're not going anywhere. <laughs> this, doesn't, this doesn't make sense. I don't know. Yak, you probably haven't driven High 5 up the west side of the valley, have you? No. First off, so one is along the water. 
you don't on one, you don't get more than like a hundred yards off the water. That's an exaggeration, but it's on the water. I'm married into a one, California family, and I've built so one hundred one is generally along the water Correct. in the beach towns, but you can't always see the water. Yes. Like okay, five is the west yeah, side of no. the Central Valley where the predominant color is brown, as in light brown. Uh, dry grasses and a dark brown because there's a thousand cattle pooping nonstop. There are little, literally hills and rises you can smell the feedlot before you can see it. It's on the other side of the hill, but the wind is like, yeah, that can only be one thing. If there aren't a thousand cattle on the side on the other side of this hill, there's a problem. So why you would want to get on five and do seventy five miles an hour to rea- relax is beyond me. In a convertible, <laughs> <laughs> so you can really in smell the so you can really smell the cattle in Kettleman City. Like, what are we doing here, Gordon? Come on, man! It's just like weird for Gordon to have ever like admitted to this. Five is what yeah. you get on when you got to get home for the holidays yeah, from yeah, college. You got somewhere to, yeah, I got and, somewhere to go, and you get there, and you're on a time. You drop the hammer; it's straight as an arrow. There's nothing out there. But, you know, our idea is you take it up there, and if you want to stop, you stop. You don't want to yeah. stop, you stop. You do whatever you want. Meander. No time for him. Yeah. And it Stare just, at the it's, rocks it, at Morro Bay. Oh, yeah. You just sit there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the weather's gorgeous. We're doing it in the summer, obviously. And you take it, and it's just a nice, relaxing thing. So yeah. he, he mentioned, yeah, but if we take the five, we can get there quicker. We don't have anywhere to go <laughs> anyway. We're going to get to Sacramento. We want to go. What are we going to do there? And so, oh, no, man. that's not the point. So he totally missed the point, which we laugh about it because it was a dumb thing to say. It's not. It's not. And so that's what we did in Key West, the same type of thing. We had nowhere to go. That particular, that we were just uh, like a few days, but we had nowhere to go that day, and it took a good long time. If you ever see the end of, uh, what's that movie with uh, Jamie Lee and uh, Arnold, uh, and uh, Jamie kind of does that seductive dance there, uh, that movie, anyway, it ends at the end, and it's above... Uh, the bridge, the seven mile bridge in Key West, you can get a good or on the way to Key West, the, the keys basically you can get a really good feel uh, for what that's about but that that's pretty sweet and all those def- all those places. Is that true lies? Yeah, say, is it true it lies? Is, yeah, yeah. It is. yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And it ends and yeah, they got some spectacular scenery and uh, all that stuff there and their uh, chase scene whatnot involving helicopters and all and so it's just that that gives you a feel if you if you haven't done it. And I've I've been fortunate enough. I've been to a number of these places through work, no less. So I wasn't even paying. Uh, I've been in the Caribbean uh, a couple of times with the Utes and the Cougars through work, and then I've been to Maui like four times through work. And then uh, one of the greatest assignments ever when BYU played in the volleyball Final Four. Just so happened that it was uh, held at uh, the Stan Sheriff Center in, in uh, Honolulu over there. So that was pretty cool, too. That that one made up for the one time, the one time I covered the NBA draft was in Charlotte. No Lost to Charlotte. Sorry, <laughs> Charlotte, but that's an L. <laughs> yes, I could have but NCAA volleyball a week in Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And all they wanted each day was one 15-inch story, <laughs> which – Done. Yeah, I can found that on my sleep. You know, when you cover a football game, at least when I did back for the Watchdog, you know, it had like seven stories. 
by the time you got done, you were exhausted. Well, writing one 15-inch story, I don't think I've ever been exhausted. <laughs> and so that, that was a fun trip. A lot of places that I've been, I've been able to, uh, to, to go for, for the work. So I'm very fortunate. We got a couple of minutes here. Where should you fans... And apparently there's going to be 60,000 of them at the Rose Bowl. I think there are. I think I know Mark the, Harlan was on with Scotty yeah, and him that was, saying that. That's where he thought he was going. The I, only I, think, reason, I think he's accurate. Well, the only reason I think that I, I didn't – when I first thought they were going to the Rose Bowl, I thought it would be a huge turnout. And we know 50,000 to the Fiesta Bowl. Yeah. And Saw the it. only limiting factor is there's so – Ohio State's a big school, and there's so many alumni, and a lot of them are already in the West. They're already yeah, in. a lot of it has been there, done that. With there them. is, and there's disappointment because they lost to Michigan. But I just thought availability of tickets is the only thing to limit. I mean, the only reason there's going to be 60 and not 70,000 is because Ohio State fans have the tickets. That, that, the ability to get a ticket away from a Buckeye is the only thing keeping the Utes from putting 90000 in that place. Well, and I have to admit, I have to come clean. I got two Ohio State fans tickets. See, there you go. <laughs> and, and there's so many of them. And for all the ones who are burned out, yeah, or like, yeah. oh, yeah, I've been there, done it's that. It's still the Rose Bowl, It's though. still the Rose Especially Bowl. Especially if you're local. And there's still an Ohio State fan who hasn't done it because there's so many of them. Oh, everybody loves a winner, yeah. And obviously they and it's a big school and it's a winner. So they're you know this isn't yeah. this isn't Stanford with you know seven thousand students. This is Ohio State. So. Yeah, but I still think there'll be sixty thousand. So, so where do you send those sixty? Gonna, so where do you send those sixty thousand people? Because they're uh, wherever they want to go. Come on, give them a California. Tip. Well, I mean, but I mean, so many of our there. folks have been there. That that you that, have local knowledge. <laughs> the pier at Manhattan Beach. Okay. See all yeah, those volleyball to, players but, but, with but their names also, up here. But there's all sorts of attractions. This I is, know. You can go to Universal Studios. You can go to Disneyland. Knott's Berry Farm. You ever been to Knott's Berry Farm? I have. Yeah. Yes. Down close by Disneyland. Uh, uh, Magic Mountain. And I think you just already said Universal. I mean, you yeah. can go any number of places. Oh, you know, this is another funny story here involving Gordon and his wife. <laughs> they <laughs> give up Gordon morning. <laughs> yes, this is this is seriously funny. They've had an long-standing, I'm talking several years argument that he claims that they took a tour bus to visit the Hollywood Stars home. She claims that there's no way that they did that. I mean, they had knockdown, dragged out arguments on this puppy. And the reason why I bring that up is if you're into that, you can do that. My grandmother came out, took a bus. She wouldn't fly. And so we're, we had moved to Phoenix, right? And there was eight of us. I think I told you this story. Eight of us in a station wagon. And we drove up. We didn't have a lot of money. We spent the night in the car in Yosemite, went over to San Francisco, and then came south. And she wanted to see Lucille Ball's home. No, I don't know if my parents actually knew where Lucille Ball's home was. No way. They just made it up. <laughs> we went, I remember going to Beverly Hills. There it is. Could have been anybody's home. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I can remember my grandmother, hadn't, she didn't do much traveling and certainly would never fly on a plane. So came by bus, as I said, and she had to have been probably close to her 80s and standing in front of this home that my parents said was Lucille Ball's home. <laughs> and who knows? I mean, obviously, if you do the time frame, Lucille Ball was obviously at the top of her game, you know, for, for my grandmother. I mean, I, 
even though she wasn't at the top of my game for me, I recognize that as an ultimate Hollywood star, you know. And so we did that. So there's that to do. If you do that, Hollywood Boulevard just walking down the street and people watching is entertaining enough. I mean, there's endless amounts of stuff that you can do. You can go skiing down there if you wanted. Let's go to Mammoth Mountain, people. Not that far. Yeah. And so there's uh, all sorts of uh, things to do. Go to Newport. The rare time you go to Newport in the winter. Tons of you go to Newport in the summer, obviously. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Joe Ingles coming up in 15 minutes. 15 minutes to Joe right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It's official. The youths are the 2021 Pac-12 champs and are heading to the granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl. What better way for the youths to make their inaugural trip to the Rose Bowl than a battle against Ohio State? Keep it locked on the Zone Sports Network as we get you ready for the youths' historic trip to Pasadena. Your home for the best coverage of the youths in the Rose Bowl is right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Minky Couture wants to help you out this holiday season with the perfect gift. Stop by any location from Ogden to St. George today. Mention Zone 50 and save 50%. Guys, it's a no-brainer. Get in today, save 50%, and get the best gift ever from Minky Couture. Did you hear last night, Thurl? He dropped the Grinch. He did it? On the post game. Yeah. Well, he did it during the game. Uh, I might have missed that during the game. but it was I was quick. In- I was in you mode with, uh, I had the sound, I had it on, but I didn't have it up. I was watching the whole thing, but had people, so I had to drop in and out of conversation. Okay, yeah, no, I had it on, yeah. because it was, they had a bunch of people dressing up ah, at the yeah. game. Yeah, yeah in, in the post game, he got off a good one, and I, I giggled. <laughs> <laughs> He's a dead ringer for it, man. Yeah. He's perfect for it. <laughs> he did, you know, you little mean one. I know. He is. He is a. He could get a job doing that, man. He could. I mean, It'd he, be great. No one would know. It would be like, oh yeah, I love the Grinch. Yeah. No, no, no yeah, that's Thurl Bailey. Right. He was blessed with that voice, and it sounds just like him, man. I'm so glad he took it, and he rarely has listened to me over the years. Well, when we have him on again, you can bring it up. Because <laughs> he thinks I'm a loony bin. Granted, I am. (laughs) Oh, man. All right. (laughs) There is that self-awareness. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Joe Ingles is joining us next. We'll talk to him about the win last night. Not the prettiest win they've ever got, but after back-to-back home losses, who cares? Get a win, and they did it. Joe is coming up next. We're joined right now by Rhonda Greenwood, board member of The Road Home. Rhonda, good morning. How are you? We're doing well. The Radiothon is underway, and you can make donations right now. The Huntsman Foundation is matching donations up to $1 million, and you can make a donation online at theroadhome.org. You can call 801-819-7300 and phone in your donation, 801-819-7300. As a board member, Rhonda, I'm, I'm always curious the backstory. How'd you get involved with The Road Home, and, uh, and how'd you get uh, hooked in and, and donate, donate so much of your time and energy? 
You know, I worked for many years in public relations, and I had an opportunity to uh, work with the road home about uh, five, six years ago and learned more about the organization and, and met the people, and I was just so impressed with what they do to try to end homelessness, to shelter people, um, you know, 365 days a year, and to find permanent homes for people. And, uh, you know, after I retired, I um, was invited to be a board member, and I was just thrilled to be able to continuously help out this great organization. People, I think, are aware of the Road Home and the work they do with Emergency Shelter. About 750 people every day are uh, in an emergency shelter situation with the Road Home. But I know I was surprised to learn that the number of people in in support of housing keeps growing, and it's now double the number of people in emergency shelter. 1,500 people with housing. How has that transformation happened over time? You know, um, the thing is, is finding permanent housing is the ultimate goal for the road home. I mean, the road home, you think about, oh, emergency shelter. But we're working with these people that are unfortunate and don't have a place to stay on a permanent basis. And we're working to find a permanent home. And so... It's If you understand the road home, you know, really, ultimately, we're about housing. We're about solving the problem of homelessness in uh, the Salt Lake area and in Utah. And so that's why we have so many people in housing. And there's various types of housing because some folks are just chronically homeless. And um, and there's some permanent supportive housing. It's housing that uh people can afford. And now, more than ever, housing has just become so expensive that it really is putting a lot of pressure on people and our local government and and the road home to, to try to find these affordable places to live. But that's what the road home is all about, is emergency shelter and finding permanent homes for people. And you know, when you talk about nearly 7,500 people, that's also 2,000 children we're talking about. We're talking about families. And, you know, we're so, we, we're so blessed. Uh, many of us are so blessed to have a beautiful home to live in. We have our cars. We talk about going to the Rose Bowl. We, you know, we, we're doing all kinds of great things. But there's a lot of unfortunate folks out there who, who are struggling to make ends meet. And they find themselves out on the street because they've had a huge medical payment or they've had um, other situations in their lives that, they can't find, you know, afford a home. And so the road home is there to shelter people and to help them hold their hands and help them find uh, a home that they can afford and they can stay in. And, you know, when you find a place for somebody to live, it gives them dignity and it gives them pride and they want to stay there and they work really hard and uh, to stay there. So... You know, it's just great work that the Road Home is doing, and I hope that um, if you're a veteran, because you know what, the the Road Home also is one of the biggest um, uh, aids to 
homeless veterans. We work with the VA and we get people in, you know, veterans that are homeless into better, into shelter and into homes. And so if you're a veteran, now is the time for you to support other veterans, donate to the road home, and we'll make sure that uh, veterans have a home of their own. If you're a dad and you have a have children and you live in a beautiful home right now is a great time to think of others other families other dads that are struggling to house their families and donate to the road home because the Huntsman Foundation is matching your donation. So when I get off the phone I'm going to make my donation because I know it's going to be doubled today and tomorrow with the radius on. The Huntsman Family Foundation is matching donations up to $1 million. You can donate right now at 801-819-7300, 801-819-7300, or online at theroadhome.org. Rhonda, thank you very much. Thank you. Good to talk to you. Join Hans and Scotty Wednesday. Tomorrow they'll be at LHM Riverdale from noon to 3 at 1481 West Riverdale Road in Riverdale. Joe Ingles is going to join us here in a few minutes. He said he'd let us know as soon as he is free, breaking free of whatever it is he's doing. So we will talk to Joe here in a few minutes. PK, the Jazz coming off a win after back-to-back home losses. It wasn't the most spectacular win ever. But I think when you've lost twice, you just have to win. And I know the blown lead bugs a lot of people. But I think this team is so wildly gifted and talented offensively, and no one tries to miss shots on purpose. And they shot 30 and 35% from two and three. They did not shoot the ball well. And as Jerry Sloan said, nobody tries to miss shots. (laughs) Unless you're throwing the game. I suppose so. Thanks for bringing that up. So the games where they don't defend – I find those a much bigger problem the games than the games where they struggle to make open shots. I guess if you're not creating open shots, that's a red flag. But when you have the open shot and you can't make it, that's different. I mean, to me, this felt completely different than the San Antonio game. And not just because they lost that one and they won this one. The San Antonio game, you know, because they've played so many of them, I have to hearken back in the memory, <laughs> even though that wasn't that long ago. <laughs> they all blur together. They really do. And that's why I don't get caught up in a lot of this stuff, because they do run together. The idea for this team is to continue plodding along is too negative. I don't want to say that because that grinding. How about grinding? Uh, that grinding is a nice word. Yeah, just get through it. You know, to, to take it in short spurts. You got a game here, a game there. Do what you can and be ready to play good ball when we get to the postseason. Well, in a few days, people will be trying to find Santa. Santa sighting. But right now, we got a Joe sighting. Hey, yeah. This is the Zone Sports Network. Back to Joe and he'll flush. And it's time to hear from the best looking, most charismatic. And certainly the most intelligent member of the Utah Jazz. Jingle Bell! Joe Ingles. Gives it back to Joe till the cop slams it in. And yes, for the record, Joe wrote this introduction. This is the Joe Ingles Show. (laughs) With DJ and PK. Who? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network.
Joe Ingles joins us right now on the Smart Rain guest line. Smart Rain state-of-the-art smart irrigation controller helps with first-class water management. Visit smartrain.net to learn how to save 30 to 50% on your commercial property's water costs. Or call 877-346-3333. Joe, good morning. Good morning. So, Joe, I'm, I'm curious about this. We know about the I kids. We know <laughs> it works out well. I ask questions, so it's good that I, I, I'm curious. <laughs> when Jerry Sloan coached the team, there was this whole, uh, and actually, I think it even went back to Frank Layden. There's this whole thing. They always took a pre-Christmas road trip, and it usually ended on December 23rd. And they went out and played five or six games. There's usually an Eastern trip. Under the theory was, hey. Right before Christmas, you play a bunch of home games. There's a lot going on. Uh, Maybe not so much for you during a pandemic being from Australia, but people have family in town, and there's family demands, and guys are distracted, and they'll play well. He would just prefer to be on the road then and and go, go out on the road together as a team. Now you're home. You're literally playing Christmas night, and I wonder how much that's great or how much that messes up the Christmas season for you or what you think about it. Um... Yeah, I mean, I, I guess uh, the game is it, it's fun to play on Christmas. It's, it's obviously different, um, especially growing up in Australia and having Christmas in the summer of 100 and plus degrees and swimming in the pool all day and then having Christmas in uh, the freezing cold snow now. Um, the, the game, I mean, we've played in a couple of them since I've been here and um, obviously fun. Um Obviously, as a 34-year-old, I'm not really, like, celebrating and having, like, a ton of fun at Christmas. It's obviously about my children now. So um, my enjoyment and the happiness on Christmas is seeing my kids happy and and opening presents and and doing all that. So as long as the game doesn't doesn't affect getting to open presents with the kids, which it won't because it'll be at 6 o'clock in the morning, I got no issue playing on, on Christmas. Uh, well, there. If you're not I'm having any, go ahead, Joe. Myself, um, but guys w- would have family in town or, or friends or whatever, um, wh- whoever they spent Christmas with. So, I mean, I understand where where people try and bring that in, but it's also. I mean, we're like everybody else. Like, I'm sure a million other people have family come in and they still are working. And um, obviously, ours just a bit different because people get to watch and judge us on how we work every day. And I will judge you. You better believe it. <laughs> I know you will. <laughs> <laughs> so I saw a thing uh, that you scored your 5,000th point. I don't even know that you knew it. I didn't know it. But I'm going to ask you, do you remember your first NBA bucket? I do, um, randomly. Um, I stand to the first, no, I had no idea that I was there or even close or whatever, um, or what my number even looked like. Um, I do remember my first, so I played, I, I only got to Utah a couple of days before the first home game of the year, um, and we got smacked by Houston. Um, that was when they had Harden and, and all those guys, and, I'll still never forget it for some random reason. Alex Jensen always laughs with me about it still, but it was um, Harden had 10 assists and every assist was for a three. So he had like, he had contributed however many points, but all. 
I don't know how many times someone would have had every assist be assisted as a anyway that's just pointless information that I remember <laughs> um, and then we actually went to Dallas for, for the yep. second game of the year and I hit a shot which is weird because it was like a, a mid-range like a long mid-range pull up um, Dallas bench didn't took a dribble in and, and made a, a shot which is weird now because since that one I've not like 10 mid-range pull-ups in the last seven years. So, um, yeah, that was the, the first one. Yes, it was. I looked it up. October 30th. And did you know one of your starters on your team at that point was Ennis Freedom? Uh, well, I'm very well aware of that, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't Ennis. It was Ennis Cantor at the time. <laughs> Okay. Uh, obviously, a lot's changed uh, in the last few years. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Understatement. <laughs> oh, man. I was actually watching uh, Philadelphia and uh, the end of the Philly-Boston game, just the last two minutes, and Embiid had like nine points in, uh, in 90 seconds. Do you want to guess who he was matched up with, Joe? Uh, Mr. Freedom. Bingo! <laughs> and he was getting anything he wanted. It turned out he wanted, believe it or not, he wanted long twos. He hit a bunch of 17-footers. And he yeah. made every one of them. <laughs> That's, uh, I heard, it might have been George Niang actually talking about it. The commentators, like, calling a Philly game, and they were like, oh, he keeps getting to this tough mid-range, and then he hit, like, same thing, like, same what you said, like, four or five in a row, and the commentators were like, uh, I think he's actually trying to trying to get that shot. <laughs> that's the shot. That's the shot he wants. So he's, I don't know what his numbers look like, but he's. It seems like he's incredibly efficient off that like one dribble, little hesitation, mm-hmm. and shoot it. So, um, hopefully, Mister Freedom watches some film and they they can have a battle again soon. <laughs> there you go. You've had a couple of games where the team has lost leads. Now, obviously, against Charlotte, you recaptured the lead. Is there any concern any, or maybe any particular reason? Is it just the other team getting hot as to why leads uh, aren't sticking? Is that just the nature of the NBA? Yeah, I think, obviously, a part of it is it's the NBA, and we're, we're playing against, obviously, extremely good players and teams, regardless of their record. And these guys are NBA players. They're there for a reason. Um Obviously, if we can get off to a start like we did, um, the the carefree kind of play, and, and they're obviously, um, I think they were on a back to back, maybe. Um, yes, they were. So just a bit, obviously playing a bit more more freely, and obviously, with, especially when you get, I don't know what the lead was, twenty twenty or something in the first in the first few minutes, really. Um, and obviously, they the the. the telling part of the first half or quarter or whatever you want to, however far it went, was obviously they, they weren't making shots and we can uh, contest and defend and do whatever we want. Eventually, they, they're obviously going to make some shots. So um, there's things, obviously, we can look at and we can try and limit and we can do, do better at. Uh, that's the case with, with every game, obviously. But, um, yeah, obviously glad. I, I think they got a one or two point lead at some point and then obviously we were able to, to finish off pretty strong at the end so um, obviously you never want to you never want to let a lead go or, or 
you want to kind of continually try and push it out, whether it be a couple of points at a time or you can go on a little 8-0 run or whatever it is. But obviously in saying that, the, the other team is, is trying to do the, the, the opposite of that as well. So um, we'll, we'll take the win. Obviously, after back-to-back losses, we'll probably would have taken any win. Um, but obviously, yeah, like I said, we'll, we'll look at it and um, dissect it a little bit and, and try and figure out how to keep getting better as this year goes on. You know, we've heard Quinn talk so many times now after so many games and, and sometimes on off days, and he does a thing before the game as well. And so over the years, uh, I think even as a media member, I've really absorbed a lot of the messages, probably a lot of what you guys hear to one degree or another. You get in more detail in your film sessions, obviously. But I just got to think that Quinn's got a really different attitude after a 128-126 game. You lost to the Spurs 128-126, but if you'd won 128-126, I think his attitude would be really different than after a 112-102 game. You guys are good enough shooting the ball. I figure if you're only giving up 102 points, you're going to win way more than you lose. Do you find yeah. that win or lose that that you can look at the scoreboard and the final number and know what Quinn's going to say when you get to the locker room? I <laughs> like a thousand percent. <laughs> um, not even necessarily on the score at all. Like it could be 80s, 150, whatever the number. Obviously, if we're giving up 150 and winning by two or something like that, he's he's going to be a little concerned. But um, that's also like given the night, like if we're shooting well and they're shooting well, like they, obviously the NBA is the NBA. We get a 128 or whatever it was the other night. So, um, yeah, I, I actually said to one of our players the other day, I was like, I almost, from like when we're out on court and he, he walks out of the office or, or whatever it is from meeting or watching film before practice, um, just like as soon as I see him, I feel like I know what he's going to say. Oh, the mood he's in or... Um, the way he walks into the locker room after a game, the, the mood or, or whatever. Um, I've, like you said, I sit next to Boyan in the locker room, so it's like, it can, Boyan's obviously been here a few years now as well. It's um, You can kind of look at each other and be like, oh, we're, we're in for one here, or, or, or he's going to be really happy. Even even if it is, like you said, like a 128 or, or whatever, you can you can feel the way we're playing and, and obviously at the end of the day, regardless of the score and, and all those things, he wants us playing the right way and like you said, if we play the right way and, and do what we do, we obviously usually get a hold teams to a reasonable score and, and, and probably win a, a lot of the time. So, uh, yeah, I, I can feel it and like I said, I can, I can almost look at him now eight years into this thing and kind of guess what he's going to say or, or the mood he's going to be in. For those of you listening, that was Joe's Australian accent of the word shoot. <laughs> yeah, shooting. Yeah, shoot. yeah, just, way, just so we, you know. The way, the way we shoot. Yeah, that's just... Sorry, uh, it's 9.20 it's, in the morning. I, no, I no, 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 it's your Australian accent, and so we understand you talk funny in our country. Uh, so <laughs> there's there's no problem there. I've got an, Ameri- I've got an American sunburn. Yeah, yes, you do, Future which is president. why I was thinking at the end of your career, you need to change your name to Joe America. In my career, what? Well, whenever that time is, with the end of your career, you need to change your name to Joe America. No. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> at the end of my career, whenever that is, yeah. I, will be on, I will be on a plane, a Qantas Boeing 737 or whatever they call them. Right. And I will be 
pack it up and heading out of here. Right. And then when you land, you're officially known. You'll stand out in your country, man, if you're known as Joan America. I'm just trying to help yeah. you for further income once your big money trails off. You know what I mean? you got to do something the rest of your life. You're going to have another 40, 50 years Trust to live. Me. I'm not that silly, and I wear jazz sweats and chucks. <laughs> my, ba- my bank account is full. I am doing, so, I am doing okay. So you're saying you're cheap? Is that what you're... <laughs> I, Yeah. Well, I'm not cheap because I. the one thing I'm happy to spend money on is is – my friends and family and going to dinners and enjoying my time with them. Okay. But I do drive a, a really, really old used F-150 and I wear jazz sweats and chucks. I've actually got Crocs on right now because they were given to me. So. Oh, I yeah. saw those yellow Crocs, Joe. You look like Daffy Duck. That's, that, well, this is the whole point of this. Like, I, I could not care less. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very, very happy. <laughs> so, when you're retired, are you going to stop working out? Are you going to be into the I don't care less mode? Just get a big old gut on you and you just say, whatever. No, his wife will that, demand it. That, Renee and I have talked about this before. I think I uh, I definitely won't when I, the, the first, however long, it, I don't know how long it takes to not feel good about yourself when uh, you've played or played basketball, played professionally for since I was 17. So I'll definitely have a break um, at the start. I said to Renee, I think it'll get to a point where, like, uh, obviously I enjoy a, a, a quiet beer every now and then. And um, I think it'll get to a point where I'll, like, wake up one morning and I'll be in my pajamas or shorts or something and I'll walk I'll look I'll see myself in the mirror like when I haven't seen myself for a little while and I'll be like oh it's shoot. Uh, <laughs> it's, <laughs> oh shoot it's time to uh, it's time to figure figure this thing out <laughs> um, but I'll I, I think I don't know everyone, everyone says and I've got a lot of ex-professional friends and um, a lot of them say that they are fitter now or post-career than they ever were in their career. You obviously find different things that you enjoy in terms of fitness or, or getting out there, whether it be things we aren't allowed to do now um, that you have an interest in that you, you couldn't do, obviously. Um, or it's just like things you pick up with like school dads or the other friends that you make outside of basketball. And um, Yeah, I mean, I'll find something to do. I'm not going to I'm not just going to sit around and drink beer and eat donuts all day as much as I would enjoy that. Um, or I'll do that, but I'll still work out um, to, to some extent. And obviously three kids, young kids, I'll be running around with them a lot. And um, yeah, I'll just kind of figure it out as I go. Definitely no uh, plan set in stone for post-career workouts. Well, Joe, Merry Christmas. We'll see you Christmas night on uh, on TV, or some fans will be at the game and see you in person. But uh, enjoy the holidays. Sure and, out, won't it? Yeah. and nothing yeah. else to do. Oh, yeah, by right. Christmas night, everything's done. It will yeah. Be, yeah. Th- there's yeah. actually a, an executive who used to be with the club. He left long before you got there. You don't know him. But he, when I was new in town, he said, yeah, we do really well in the Christmas holidays and on Thanksgiving weekend because you got big families here. Everybody gets together, but yeah. they don't really like each other. And so after 24, 36 hours, 
hours, a couple meals together, it's time to get out and go to a jazz game and not look each other in the face Definitely. and argue politics <laughs> or whatever else. He says, well, we crush yeah. it on those holiday games. Yeah. No, I think it's it'll be fun. So hopefully we uh, – I don't even know who we play. Who do we play on Christmas? Dallas. Dallas? Yeah, don't screw oh, it up, yeah. Joe. Go – you got to get at least one bucket because that's the team you first scored on. Oh, yeah. In, in my <laughs> 627th career game, I should be worried about getting a bucket on the team that I scored my first point on. You should make sure you're not on the group film session with Quinn. Well, maybe the game winner. How about that, the game winner? Uh, yeah, that'd be nice. It'd be a bit yeah. fun. Yeah. All right, thanks, Joe. We appreciate it. Happy appreciate holidays. It. Thanks, guys. Thank yep. you. Joe Ingles joining us every week right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We appreciate him coming on game day on Thursday, Christmas Eve on Friday. We figured he'd move it earlier in the week because he just rarely misses PK. Very rarely. And oh, man. He, he was constant. Yeah. yeah. I had a conversation with Rudy Gobert last week on that, and we brought it up. He says that the guys all know about this streak, that he's done this weekly. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's absolutely incredible. And I remember he told me years ago because I was the one who set it up and I, I said I commented on it must have been maybe the early in the second year I said Joe man you haven't missed and he looked at me and he said it real matter of factly he said I told you I was going to do it like why are you discussing this I told you I would do it so that's the end of discussion if I tell you I'm going to do something I'm going to do it DJ PK it's 97.5 and 1280 the zone it's time to bring in wow this is a tough act to follow huh but that's why we bring in the woman who runs the show. Michelle Flynn joins us right now, the executive director of The Road Home. Michelle, you got to follow Joe Ingalls. Good luck with that. <laughs> no worries. Good morning, gentlemen. Thanks for having me on. Oh, thanks for coming on, and thanks for all you do at The Road Home. The Road Home Mediathon is underway. The Huntsman Foundation is matching donations up to $1 million. And, Michelle, I'm curious, because I don't, I don't think I've ever asked you, how did you get involved with The Road Home in the very beginning? What drew you in? You know, um, when I moved to Salt Lake, I was looking to work for an organization that was really, really community-focused. And there was a job opening. So the first time I was ever in a shelter was walking in for a job interview um, at the old facility on Rio Grande Street. And I just knew when I walked in that door, the feeling that you got, the way that the staff were so kind and welcoming to the guests who were coming in and looking for help, I knew it was a great place to work. And that was a couple decades ago. Yeah. Obviously, that facility isn't there. You are running the Midvale Family Resource Center and also the Men's Resource Center, the newer facility on uh, 10th West and South Salt Lake. Plus, you've had a pandemic to deal with. Plus, you're shifting your focus to supportive housing. I got to admit, I was surprised. I knew you were doing that, but I was surprised to see that two thirds of the people you're working with are now in supportive housing and one third are in the emergency shelter. I didn't know the ratio had grown that much. What is the biggest challenge for the executive director of the road home these days well you know it's been a year where uh, almost two years now where we've had to change everything we do to make sure we're prioritizing health and safety for the people that are are showing up at our front doors and and as you said we we do provide that frontline crisis shelter so that people have a place to go families have a place um, whenever they need help and at the same time we're immediately surrounding them with support and and problem solving and sort of understanding where and how is going to be the best place for them to live, but the kind of supports that they need. The biggest challenge we're facing right now is this 
really incredible increase in the cost of rental housing in Salt Lake in, in, in our area. And it's just so challenging to afford for people who are not making a lot of money. And we're there to help. We have rental assistance and deposit assistance we can support people with. But just maintaining that, that high cost of housing is a challenge, I think, a, a top challenge for our community and our state as a whole. The housing's expensive. I was surprised here. We give us a list of, you know, 30 uh, different donations and what it would cover. A $32 donation provides a night of emergency shelter. $1,000 provides two and a half months of housing support for an individual. There's a $45 price point. $45 covers the application cost for an individual seeking housing. Expensive to try and find the housing before you actually do find the housing and have to pay for that. It is. And we have, you know, we've got some terrific landlords and property owners that really like to work with us and, and help our families and our veterans and others move into housing. But as you said, you know, $45 is about the average cost to just fill out an application for apartment, even without knowing if you're, if you're going to get approved. And oftentimes our families have to do multiple of those applications before they find a place. And so that's a big cost for people. And it's an unexpected cost. And, you know, it's kind of a sunk cost. And so that is a huge, uh, uh, huge goal of ours to remove those kinds of barriers that were preventing people from being able to get into housing. And that's what the dollars that we're raising today and tomorrow will go to, to help those staff who know the landlords, who know the rental housing who are out there every day looking, driving around, trying to find affordable apartments with the folks we serve and to help pay for things like these application fees. Well, Michelle, we appreciate all you do. If you've got one thing you could tell people to make a pick up the phone right now and call 801 819 7300 and make a donation, 801 819 7300, or log on to theroadhome.org. If there's one thing you could tell people, what would it be? Thank you. Thank you for, on behalf of my team, on behalf of our staff that are working 24 hours a day, seven days a week to provide this service. Thank you for being part of our community to help end homelessness. Michelle Flynn, Executive Director of The Road Home, joining us here on The Zone. All your donations right now up to $1 million matched by the Huntsman Foundation, dollar for dollar. Michelle, we appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, TJ. 801-819-7300. 801-819-7300 is the number to call. Anything you missed in this show, we'll get you up to speed. Next, NBA games, jazz game, a couple of NFL games yesterday, a couple more today. We'll get to all of that next. Stay with us. It's official. The Utes are the 2021 Pac-12 champs and are heading to the granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl. What better way for the Utes to make their inaugural trip to the Rose Bowl than a battle against Ohio State? Keep it locked on the Zone Sports Network as we get you ready for the Utes' historic trip to Pasadena. Your home for the best coverage of the Utes in the Rose Bowl is right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, time to get you caught up to date. If you're joining the show late, Lee's Heating and Air getting you up to date with the Slacker Radio headlines. Lee's Heating and Air, home to the award-winning line of American Standard Furnaces and Air Conditioners. Call or visit Lee'sHeatAC.com now to schedule a free in-home estimate or free second opinion. Well, PK, the Jazz got a win. We were talking about it earlier, and uh, Joe just said it. Any win's a good win when you've lost two in a row at home. I think that's love. Any love, Any is, love good is good love. love. Yeah. yeah. Sing it. Can you substitute love for wins? Sure. What else can you substitute there? Not much. Uh, exercise? You could substitute uh, 
shoot for Joe's favorite word. <laughs> Joe. It's just an accent. We're on the radio, Joe. <laughs> He's, he should spell it out like he normally does. That would be good, yes. <laughs> uh, any takeaways other than uh, Rudy Gobert against a smaller lineup? Punish them. look at each other and be like, oh, s***. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was literally well, you, just editing it, so I figured I'd play You were talking about the twos and threes, and I think we need to celebrate the ones. Oh, yeah. Rudy Gobert did a good job with the ones. 15 of 16 at the free throw line. 23 points, 21 boards, but 15 of 16 at the line. Which was great because the rest of the team didn't do a good job with the ones. Everybody else was 13 of 21. That is an unacceptable 65%-ish type number. That is way too low. There are high school teams that would be upset with that number. Other guys are missing. Oh, yeah. Especially since you consider that most of those dudes are known as shooters. I know, right? Yeah, it was uh, Bogey, definitely a shooter, 2 of 4 at the free throw line. Donovan Mitchell, definitely a shooter, 5 of 8 at the free throw line. Rudy Gay, definitely a shooter, rough night shooting the ball. 2 of 11 from the floor, 1 of 5 from behind the arc, and 0 for 1 at the free throw line. I think those are the best games, though, to win and not shoot the ball well. Yes, totally agree. Totally agree. For a multitude of reasons. One, as you're a proven shooter, so you're going to have nights in which you shoot well. Plus, the postseason is full of games in which you don't shoot well, but still find ways to win. And then within that, even if you're not shooting well, if it's a close game, you make the bucket. That is super impressive to me. Because when things are flowing well, it's easy. We're all front runners to one degree or another, right? It's what you do when things aren't going your way. I mean, I think that's what determines. And you can you can transfer that into life, too. And how do you pick yourself up? Because every single one of us, to one degree or another, is going to get knocked down. It doesn't matter who you are, how much success you've had. You're going to get knocked down somewhere along the line probably earlier in life as you're trying to make your way but even still later in life there's all sorts of health issues that we know contribute to any number of things uh, in your mental uh, outlook and so how do you deal with all those now particularly in a basketball game if you're not shooting well individually what do you do if you get the ball and the game's on the line it's like tiger woods standing over a 15 footer when you look at him in his prime versus anybody else. You just knew the mental toughness. Even though it's a physical act to get that ball into the bucket, it's about mental toughness. And when I said uh, or golf ball into the hole, basketball into the bucket, mental toughness, man. And the guys who are mentally tough in hoops, probably anywhere, they're the ones who are the winners. I think they showed some of that because they were blowing that 22-point lead. They were behind by a point. Clearly, the Hornets were feeling good. And two good. losses in a row. And they got two losses in a row. It looked a lot like the uh, San Antonio loss. Yeah, you they, could feel the tension in the crowd. The other team is making difficult shots. When the other team misses, they get an offensive rebound and a putback. And with three and a half minutes to go, Charlotte takes the lead. Conley comes down and gets the old school three point play. And the Jazz finish the game on a 21 to 10 run. 
For three and a half minutes, they were really good when they had to be. That was yeah. nice. It was. That's what I that, liked that about that. was really that. good. Now, because there, that was mental toughness. Yes, absolutely. There was stuff that came before it that was bad, and there are plenty of people who have hit us up on Twitter and Facebook with the stuff that sucked in the middle of the game, and it did. But I think the biggest problem was they missed shots. 30% from three, 35% from the floor. This team shoots better. And they, there were a bunch of open shots there, and they missed them. And they missed a bunch of free throws, too. So, to your point about you got to do something else, well, if you're missing a bunch of shots, grab a bunch of offensive rebounds. You're missing a bunch of shots, there's a bunch of rebounds to be had, and they didn't shoot it very well either, so there were actually rebounds at both ends of the floor. And the Jazz ended up with what I expect will be a season-high total 68 rebounds. I can't imagine they're going to have that, – and, and Charlotte had 51. I mean, there were – I don't know, what is that, 119 rebounds? That's a lot of rebounds. If you do the math. Yeah. 22 offensive boards. Again, massive number. So they, they did something different. Uh, if you can't make shots, grab rebounds. And from now on, henceforth, heretofore, I am no longer going to refer to them as free throws. They're going to be the ones. I love that. Because we talk about the twos and the threes. And let's, let's talk about the ones. Yeah, yeah. The ones measure mental toughness focus. Oh, that's a lot of M's. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Get well, those ones, in. particularly at the end of the game, we're going to refer to them as the chosen ones. <laughs> Keep it coming, PK. <laughs> Stream of consciousness. You're on a good roll here. I like this. <laughs> 20 years. <laughs> Where they go? 20 years. Yep. I don't know. <laughs> Sing it. <laughs> like a rock. <laughs> <laughs> Jazz made uh, five in a row of the chosen ones to close the game out there. In the last, See? In the last I like that seconds. already. I know. I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> and then Conley missed one, but at that point they were up 10. So, But the five in a row helped put it away. Yeah, I think that was a little bit of a gut check. I, and now that I think about it, you know, you never want to blow the lead, as Joe said. We all get that. But the fact that they did, and you got to credit uh, Charlotte. Charlotte's playing free and easy, right? I mean, they're expected to lose. They got one of their better players who doesn't play. And so they're not supposed to win. So they could be free and easy, jack up a few, and if they go in, put the pressure on, and that's exactly what happened. And, and I think that that might be better than blowing teams out. Because when they played New Orleans in that back-to-back, they blew them out the second night. And we thought, okay, that's it. They've rectified the home floor problems. Well, then they lose a couple of games here. Back-to-back at home, which we didn't see coming either this time around. So go ahead and have a gut check win. I think that's, that's a... Not something that you can draw upon necessarily when you get to the postseason, but it's good to know that you got challenged and you responded well. Absolutely. And you got to get out of that hole. And so now you got a couple days off, and there ought to be no problem. I know there's a lot of games that come at you fast and you can't get fired up for everyone, but man, Minnesota did a lot of talking after that last game. You can't get fired up for this one. Again, though? But didn't they get fired up after that, the next one? Who'd they yeah, play the like, next but night? Yeah, but once you, once you <laughs> loathe somebody, then you, every time you see them, you can loathe them. Minnesota, you get to loathe them three times. It'll wear off over time. Uh, and, and rosters change next year. Who knows how many of those guys will even be on the team. But right now, they're on the team. So Yeah, and Minnesota, to me, is this classic, dangerous NBA team. And they're not very good collectively. But individually, they got some nice talent capable of going off. So it's certainly nothing you can take for granted. 
And last year, the Wolves beat the Jazz three times, and that was a big deal for the Jazz. Got the first win on them this year. But the Wolves no, are perfect okay. 15 and 15 right now, right? Well, at 500. No, no wonder why they're popping off. They beat you three times in a row. They've earned the right to pop off. Well, and they have a guy who just likes to pop off, too. Who? <laughs> Beverly. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know. If he, he like he just likes to pop off. Yeah, I mean, he runs his mouth. Yeah, it's like it's it's the something. air he breathes, you know. And dude, you're six foot, a hundred and eighty five pounds, soaking wet with a pocket full of quarters. You need a little attitude to survive in the NBA with all those bigger players. So that's how he does it. So good. I would him. agree with that. I think and, and if you were on your cl- team, you'd probably start to find him charming. Uh, this guy sure. never yeah, I mean, quits. This is what Joe does. He, he's a grinder. Yeah, I know, right? Joe pops off all the time too. <laughs> Yeah, it might be a little more harmless, but it seems like he's always jabbering yeah. about something. Whatever, fine. Uh, NFL, we talked a little about the NFL. The uh, Raiders kicked the last second field goal, put a big old dent in the Browns' playoff hopes. Uh, Raiders kick a field goal to win as time runs out. They win 16-14. And the Vikings beat the Bears 17-9 in just a complete snoozer of the game. The Bears completely inept on offense, so once the Vikings scored, they just got out of the way. It's not like the Vikings were great offensively either. They didn't even throw the ball for 100 yards in the game, but they got the win they need. And now, the Rams today play the Seahawks 5 o'clock. If the Rams win, they're tied with the Cardinals for the division lead. And Washington's playing Philly. The winner will be tied for the last NFC wildcard spot. The loser will be a game back in a lot of trouble. Kickoff set for 5 o'clock on Fox for both those games. Okay, so they can't I can't get both on Fox. How I, I assume they're going to regionalize them, but this is, you know, Tuesday football. There isn't really a pattern of behavior here. So I assume we'll get the Western game, but I don't okay, know. Okay, so then would the other one be available on my ticket? I would think it would be. But I, again, I don't know that for sure. It's a new uncharted territory. It really yeah. is. It, it really is. And uh, let's see. I'm, yeah. There's a couple websites I go to to see if they've. But it doesn't even look like they've got anything here to kind of spell it out. So, And then uh, a- Antonio Brown coming back after Bruce Arians make this definitive statement, you screw up once you're gone. Well, he did screw up. It turns out he's not gone. But I was listening to your boy yesterday, and he made sense. Your uh, tax-free dude heard that you used to quote all the time. Now you quote and him more than I do, but that's fine. Go I, ahead. Well, you don't listen to him at all. I really don't. I d- Right, I do, because I get the satellite I see on my on, phone. His, his show's on TV, so I see a little bit on TV once in a while. I never watch much. it on television. I watch yeah. it when I'm driving. I'm not watching. I listen to it when I'm, I'm driving, driving home. home. Yeah. Or if I go to the gym sometimes right after work. Normally, I go home and feed the dog, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but yesterday, I was literally in the gym right after the show, right? So I'm listening to him, and he made a statement that I thought really, really made sense, because he's talking about uh, the, oh, the... NFL created these, you know, we're going to play, and if you can't play, you forfeit. You know what I mean? All these protocol rules. And now they're changing games around, and we just spoke about how you're going to have two games on Tuesday. Uh I don't know if that's ever happened before. And he, he made a statement. He said, I'm okay with it because the NFL is all about the bottom line. They didn't take to the level that the NBA and the individuals did with the social stuff and then look sort of stupid when you got nothing to say, Kerr and Popovich on China. You're running your mouth constantly, but over here you got nothing to say. And LeBron We're the NFL. Too. We're the NFL. We're a money machine. Now get yeah. out of our way. Yeah, and that's, <laughs> that's what that, pretty that's pretty much the how point. they run their show. And so he was saying, 
I, I've got no problem with them changing stuff because they're bottom line. They're in the business to make cash, right? And they do a little stuff. It's sort of cosmetic, I think. But his point, I think, is well taken. And so Arian's here making this big statement last year, and now he's totally looking ridiculous. It's like, okay, we got a guy who's hurting Godwin. We're, we need receiver help. Brown can help us. But when you think about it, these guys are about the bottom line in winning games. And if you go from that perspective, hey, so be it. Uh, I did find it. We are getting Seattle and the Rams. Pretty much uh, everybody from Denver West is getting that game. But the Washington-Philly game, it says here, will be available on Sunday ticket. So That's Tuesday ticket. It is. It's now the Sunday ticket on Tuesday. Yes. Well, I'll be paying attention to both then. So there you go. All right. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Coming up, your feedback next. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. It's the fifth annual Black Friday sale. It's been extended through December at Davis Vision. Tired of glasses or contacts? Get LASIK now and save $1,400. There are limited spots available, so act now. Check them out at davisvisionmd.com or call 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. All right, time to find out what you have to say about today's show. And we got a lot of you weighing in on the thought that uh, the Jazz won, but was it good enough? Eric, I don't know what it is. I don't like it. Being up 87-70 with like nine minutes in the game and then allowing them to go on a 22-4 run is unacceptable. How many wide-open threes did we shank tonight? Luckily, Shank? Yeah. It's a golf? Yeah, it is a golf basketball combo. <laughs> Luckily, Rudy shot far above his average from the charity stripe, or we would have been in bad shape. Well, I don't know that it's luck, though. I think it's work. I agree with you. I guess, uh, you know, the work is constant, and you don't go 15 of 16 every night, so maybe there's a little bit of, of good fortune built in there, but uh, it's, way more yeah. work. it's way more work than luck. I mean, but we there's all no remember, reason... We all remember when Rudy was a 60% free throw shooter. Yeah, and there's no reason why he's not 75-80. That was impressive. He went up and made him again and again and again. And if, you, if your big man is 75-80, you take it. Yes, absolutely. Without question. So that's a big-time positive right there. They didn't shoot the three that well, but the after a slow start to the year, that number has really gotten better. So they had a night they didn't shoot the three well. And they still managed to won that win. That's a great sign. Win when you're not at your best. Anybody, anybody in this league pretty much can win when they're at their best, or most teams can win when they're at their best, particularly if the other team isn't at their best. When you've got those two things going on, say the other team isn't at their best and you're at your best, you're probably going to win. I like it when you find ways to win that just don't come easy. It's almost like that. it just came too easy for them early on. You're thinking, oh, crap. At least I do. I tend to think of, uh, you know, what's going to happen. And sure enough, you knew that they were going to come back to one degree or another. And they came all the way back. Give them credit, speaking of Charlotte, obviously. And then the Jazz managed to pull away and win going away. That's pretty impressive. Jeff says the problem is the Jazz lack a tough vet who won't let the team blow a lead. The obvious answer is Mike Conley. 
Well, we oh, covered this yesterday. They're, they're over without Mike Conley this season. So. That, that's cliche, though. Just what we need, the tough veteran. They don't have tough veterans on this team? <laughs> well, actually, the reason they didn't blow the lead is, you po- and you pointed the play out, when they finally fell behind and they gave up the bucket, I think it was Ubre, but who was it? Uh, whoever. Uh, Conley got the three-point play. Yeah. That was nice. So the, the tension didn't grow. It got pretty tense, and I'm sitting at home watching it, and it got pretty tense. You could feel it sort of over the television airwaves. Uh, well, it was here on, we go uh, again. Watching. Yeah, and, and the thing about it is it, it, it was one point, and then the lead or the deficit for the Jazz went away immediately. And it's like whew, a little bit of <laughs> relief, and then they turned it on. Yeah, but at the four-minute mark when Plumlee had his uh, offensive rebound tip put back, uh, oh, man, that looked like Pirtle. I think I've seen this movie before. Yeah, 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 especially since you just lost a couple of ball games in a row at home to teams that you should be beating. But that's a great thing, too, is that you should be beating them. That means you're good. Well, I think that's the frustrating thing is like, well, they should have won that game. Where's the signature win? Well, when you're that good, there aren't that many games that really test you where you think, man, if they're really good, they'll win tonight. Because at tip-off, you're thinking, the Jets are a better team than I'll win this. So you don't get that splash. The only way you get that is consistency, putting together a win streak or a you know, 14 out of 16 or something like that. Yeah, I'm still waiting for them to do that at the same time. Uh, give me, give me all your statement games in May and June. Sixteen of them would be good. If you get sixteen statement wins in June, that means you get a ring and a parade. Well, we got to enjoy the Rose Parade before we get to the NBA title parade. So one parade at a time. Yeah, but that parade precedes the game. That it does. Oh man, if they win the Rose Bowl, they'd probably get a parade here in town, wouldn't you think? Yeah, I'd show up in red. <laughs> I'd have to borrow some from you because it's a fact that you and your kids wore red at the spring game, 19-whatever. I read it on Twitter, so don't, don't argue with me, man. All right, DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time to bring in Sarah Navarre here. Sarah, good morning. Good morning. Sarah, the Holiday Mediathon is underway to benefit the road home, and there is a $1 million match from the Huntsman Foundation, so everybody's donation will be, will be matched up to a $1 million. You can call right now at 801-819-7300 or donate online at theroadhome.org. Why are you a supporter of the road home? What have you seen or heard that made you think this is a cause to get behind? Well, goodness, that's incredible from the Huntsman Cancer to match that. That's just incredible. Um, I, I'm sorry, your question was... What did you see? What, did, what have yeah. you seen or heard that made you want to get behind this? Absolutely. Well, I think, you know, I've seen um, work in our community from, from the road home, and they support so, so many people um, who need a place to stay, who need a warm bed. Um, they just do a tremendous, tremendous amount of work in our community. 
I was surprised to read, and I think this is a big point of emphasis this year, that the, the services the road homes provide, I think everyone knows about the emergency shelter, and they're still sheltering 750 people. But they're now working with over 1,500 people in supportive housing to get them into housing and keep them there and get them into self-sufficiency long term. And the fact that it swung so it's now two-thirds housing, one-third shelter, that, that was a little bit surprising. Um, to me too. Um, I I wasn't aware of that, but it makes sense. There's people in that kind of in between state that um, it it would be a process to get them in a more more stable position, just healthier all the way around. It's it's just fantastic. So, what would you say right now to someone who's on the verge of donating? Why should they pick up the phone right now and call eight zero one eight one nine seventy three hundred and donate? Oh my goodness, they absolutely should pick up the phone and call. Um, there's, I mean, it's cold outside. It's miserable being cold, and there's people who really need the help. Simple well, as that. We appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on, Sarah. Thank you. DJ and PK, you can donate online right now at theroadhome.org, or you call 801-819-7300. You'll be supporting the Midvale Family Resource Center, where they've had uh, over 2,000 children served this year, and also the Men's Resource Center, the new facility at 10th West and South Salt Lake, and also the 1,500 people they have in supportive housing. The number to call right now, 801-819-7300.